The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the 200th episode edition. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, you know him, you love him. He's been with us for 200 episodes. He can't be stopped. Tom, say hello. Brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> That was, I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed how well that's obviously a quotable from the movie we're doing. I'm amazed how well that fit with your intro. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I'm also. I mean, one of the incidental pleasures of the Star Trek TOS series is watching the growth in contempt between James Stewart and William Shatner. Oh, was it ever dripping no. <laughs> in this movie? I can't wait to talk about it. I know it's, and it culminated in in. Uh, Star Trek Generations, their last uh, on-screen moment together, where at any given moment, they look like they're about to punch each other in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is in fact our 200th episode, and we are going to go back to the well, as we did for our 100th episode. Yeah. And we're going to talk Star Trek Generations, the bridging film between... The old and what was at one point was the new. The entirely unnecessary bridge. Yes, exactly. Between the TOS and T- TNG eras. Uh, as we, as we already uh, established um, during our coverage of the Star Trek TOS series. Correct. And, as, and I, I guarantee we'll be talking about again when we, uh, when we get to the TNG era. Yeah, exactly. I'm, so, I mean, right off the bat... Normally, when we start a new series, we would, we'll obviously declare. Yeah. In terms of ranking, we could rank it against, you know, the movies we've already done, but we we won't venture any further than that until we get there. Yeah, I mean it, it's, it's it's almost tailor made. It's almost tailor made <laughs> for 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 these special episodes we do. Yeah. You know, because we we uh the the I I. I don't know about you, but I cannot decide whether this is a TOS or a TNG movie. I I thought I I thought I knew. I think. <laughs> and then and then I watched it this time. Then I watched it this time again, having just done the TOS movies. I was like, well, that's maybe more of a TOS movie than I ever gave it credit for. Really? Because on this viewing, I kind of went the other way. <laughs> well, then that's that's why we have something. That's that's, that's there's our podcast right there. Yeah, exactly. That's our mission statement: is that we 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 have a a disagreement. To a disagreement. <laughs> exactly. Which speaks speaks to the reason why we picked this movie in the first place. In the first place, I mean, it's 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 the perfect bridge <laughs> for us to go past two hundred. Yeah. Let's absolutely. face it. I mean, so. You know, I was thinking back because obviously our our 100th episode we went, you know, we started back at the beginning. We did Superman Returns. Yeah. 
because retroactively upon having seen it, I, I remember thinking, no, this is absolutely a sequel. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And we had to kind of go back to the well, and we were thinking about where to go for a 200th episode, and... Un- yeah, any more unfinished business, and... Um... Th- this is it, isn't this, it? I, I mean, you know... <laughs> this is... I think the synopsis of this movie could be unfinished business. Oh, man. Uh, that that is That is actually finished, but... <laughs> nonetheless yes has, has, it reeks of unfinished yeah yeah it's, it's uh it's it's just amazing to think someone walked out of the undiscovered country and thought well you know we're gonna need something to bridge something to wrap you know, some, some, <laughs> something fi- to lead into the next yeah. Generation, something stronger than seeing all the signatures of the cast in the final credits. Yeah, that that doesn't that in doesn't space. tell. Yeah, in in space, that doesn't say closure to me at all. <laughs> to say, I mean, we'll get there, but it also to say nothing of the fact that they kept asking people to join this movie, who said no. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean that—that's very evident with, with when you see who walks onto the Enterprise bridge at the beginning of the film. So very much so. It, it is—is not the most natural trio of uh, of, <laughs> right. T, of TOS legacy cast members. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we've already alluded to the problems that 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 happen when you bring a Doohan back together with a Shatner. Right, yeah, and also, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we'll 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 get into it, but uh, but I am fascinated by, uh, just because they're involved currently involved in a, a feud, um, Shatner and Takai, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that that uh, Captain Kirk's final words scoop George Takai's catchphrase. <laughs> Before it was ever his catchphrase, you know what I and I wonder whether the feud is largely based on this that you know Takai right, is just yeah. resentful of the fact that Shatner got there a few years earlier because it was it was a Howard Stern show that launched Oh My yeah uh, you know uh, uh, putting uh, Stern putting it on his soundboard and very recently Takai was on the Graham Norton show talking about both how. He will not talk about William Shatner anymore whilst also talking about William Shatner. Because Shatner has a book out in which he lays into Takai. Not by name, incidentally, which is <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of interesting that Takai immediately assumes it's all a reference to him. I was like I was like, are these guys I mean, you know, are these guys just both difficult? Maybe. I get that, I get I that mean, sense sometimes. I find it interesting that a man in his nineties could yeah. write a book and still and still be talking about just talking shit about someone yeah. that he worked with for decades. Right, yeah. It's, it's so it's fascinating to me, but so when I heard when I When you hit ninety, you're towards the end. Mm-hmm. It's time to it's time to think about the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, instead, I mean t- instead of putting in print your grudges. As far as I can well, as far as I can tell, Shatner keeps uh, just talking about how you know TOS cast members in ge- in general, whereas Takai will will hit back with you know Shatner yeah. went to space because to, they wanted to see what an unfit subject uh, how they did out there. You know, it's sort of like well, one is very personal and directed, the other one is yeah, uh, right. 
But then on the flip side of that is, you know, I think one of the best pitches we had in the last hundred episodes was actually not a sequel pitch, but an inadvertent pitch for a game show that you made called Who Hates Shatner More? <laughs> so when, when Shatner refers to I the forgot T- about that. When Shatner refers to the TOS cast members that he's feuding with, it's a pretty broad <laughs> church of people. Yeah, right. Yeah. And whereas Takai is sort of like, no, it's just Shatner. I got on with everyone else. <laughs> but this guy's a real asshole. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I also have some questions about how uh, Allegiance made it to the stage. I've, uh, I have inside information that uh, George Takai may not be the uh, the original author of that piece. So no, maybe maybe that biases me. But um, I was going to say after, after our after our experience with James Franco, I don't want to push our legal uh, <laughs> our legal troubles any further. Let's let's leave them where they are. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I think for our hundredth episode, we did some reflection. Yeah. So I'll ask you again. Mm. How do you feel <laughs> as as we embark on, on past two hundred episodes? He says, not realizing he's quoting Star Trek for the voyage home, <laughs> unless he is. But it didn't sound like it. Nope. How do you feel? And I'll just I'll just respond with that bird like Leonard Nimoy face. <laughs> yes, right. How do you feel? Um, I feel gr- I mean I feel really good about about where we are. I was looking back at uh, our catalog for for the last hundred episodes, and I was yeah, just struck right. Me by too. how many big series we've tackled in that mm-hmm. time. Um, all you know the entire Halloween canon thus far. Right. Um, Rocky. The Planet of the Apes series. Planet of the Apes, Dirty Terminator, Harry. Star yeah. Wars and Star Trek. I mean, these are, you know, these are uh, series that are, you know, infor- uh, formative, important, and, you know, Hall of Fame. Yeah, historically, yeah. they matter. Yeah, and, and you know, one, one or all of the above for many of them. Right. Um... But I'm also glad we've managed to sort of fit in a lot of our single sequel um, yeah. be- uh, entries because it's just fascinating to take take a year take aside. a snapshot of a year yeah yeah take a snapshot of a year and 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 see what it what it tells us and it's, it's <laughs> talk to huge. me 1997 yeah you have plenty to say and 1990 yeah exactly you know <laughs> we, we got 93 and 97. And you know the whole the whole art of sequel filmmaking seems to have died in between those years. <laughs> you yeah, know, you ma- take ma- a look at ninety three. Good yeah. job, nineteen ninety three. I think I ninety seven. Woofa. Weekend at Bernie's two was the the nail in the coffin of of uh, film sequels, apparently. Um, so yeah, so whichever way you slice it, I think I think. I think um, it's it's been it's been fascinating, and I love that we're able to uh, to approach it from different different angles. But um, yeah, I mean it, it it's it puts you in an interest interesting position because you think you're like what's what's next? What could be next? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it, it also 
with many of these series, we we've only done them in part. Uh, whether it's the Spider-Mans or the Star Wars or even the Star Trek, yeah, right, sure. We've got we've got more to go, so there's 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 also the ability to kind of run with a few series, mm-hmm. um, and of course, more sequels will be made within a given series that will allow us to update. Go on. Um, yeah, apparently we're gonna have to revisit the Dirty Dancing series. What? <laughs> That's news to me. Really? And a yeah. new Dirty Dancing sequel? As I understand it, yes, Jennifer Grey is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick Swayze was too dead to object. Is that, yes, how, it, is th- that, is, th- is that how it exactly. came about? <laughs> Maybe she... just, just as a final insult for you, I hope they have some sort of hologram version of him. Well, I mean... Dancing I'm... on stage. I mean, I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I forget why, but um, uh, you know, within the not to date the podcast as as we we like we we somehow find a way of doing even <laughs> even though it goes against our better judgment. Uh, the trailer for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yeah, I watched uh, it. Which yeah. is is it the fifth installment in the Indiana Jones cycle? Came out in the past week and. Um, uh, it looks it it it's difficult to tell from any modern day trailer what the film right. is actually going to be, but you, it it's going to involve I would say about fifty percent uh, of the movie is going to be with a de-aged Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. If those Nazi uniforms told me anything, right, exactly. <laughs> I thought the me. same exact thing. I started I like, watching yeah. that preview and thought, what decade are we in? Oh, so no. I mean, everyone is adamant. Uh, it's everyone involved with it is adamant that this will be the last Indiana Jones film. So I will probably cover it uh, in the next hundred. Yeah, we'll cover it in the in the next hundred, which will. Um, I mean that that'll be another huge yeah. series uh, to to think about, um, and we'll you know we'll tr- it. I like I like that we're able to you know go way back, go in the way back machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, with something like Planet of the Apes, but then also pull it right up to the present day with um, Halloween mm-hmm. Ends, or you know, it's nice to have a few new entries in. You could say the same for the Planet of the Apes series. We're not done with that. There's more. Sequels. No, no. There's a whole. There's a whole trilogy. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they. I, I think they're still making them. From the sounds of it, I think there's definitely more apes in the works. <laughs> uh, you can never keep a good ape down. You never keep never keep a good ape down, and um, <laughs> also, I mean, you know, look, there's a there's a there's a kind of a, a flip side of our podcast, which is our, our YouTube content, mm-hmm. um, which are currently split between a mini series on James Bond sequels and uh, our regu- our you know regular watch alongs, which we've been doing since the podcast began, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and you know it's interesting like so many so many series have kind of come to us first through the watch alongs sure like uh well star wars we started doing on there mhm and now we you know we finally got around to doing actual star wars movies instead of mm-hmm. these kind of bastardization nonsense <laughs> yeah <laughs> of the ewoks and the holiday special yeah uh, but you know, we 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 got a flavor of series like King Kong as well, and sure. you know, stuff that you know that, that uh, 
Stuff that's, you know, certainly been around a long time. Texas Chainsaw. Texas Chain, yeah. Massacre. Yeah. 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 Amityville, so, which yeah, right. we're never, never tackling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Says you. Well, like, yeah, this, uh, this is it. I mean, it's always, um, you know, you feel like, uh, is it King King Herod? With the, mm. we, we will cut the series down the middle. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and if you really care. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> some series are so long and unwieldy, we have no choice but to do that. Yeah. And yet, even the act of cutting it down the middle is fascinating. I mean, look at the movie we've got today, Generations. It's yeah, like, right. It's, it's a fascinating object in terms of how you take one... Take a, uh, a film series from one era to another. Well, uh, I, I and I do's think it's and, a, do's and don'ts. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> the the inter, the interesting part about this particular movie is it it begs it as you watch it, it constantly begs the question: Was any of this necessary? And also, what is this? And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I because have so many so many. I notes. don't think. Yeah, I just I don't think they realized what a difficult task they set themselves for yeah before deciding to do it it just it, it was one of those things where you think we should absolutely do this right right yeah right without contemplating about what a different difficult task it would be and one of the interesting things i uh, i read was that they you know they had also just recently finished the series Next Generation. I mean, it was you know they they picked right up. I think they had like two weekends off or something crazy. Right, like that. exactly. And the funny part is the same writers, a team, a duo of writers, I think both wrote both, you know, the the finale for the yeah. series and this movie. And even <laughs> they say, yeah, I think we were paying a little more attention to the finale of the series. Well, uh, and this movie feels like that. Well, well, having recently seen that, so the, I, I think they, I think they forgot as much about that finale did as they? they did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> as they, as they did, um, as they did remember it. So, uh, it, it, I mean, you know, so it's fascinating. So many different, um, there's so many different contradictions uh, about this. This just massive series right um that will that we'll get to tackle but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves let's we do are, little... yeah yeah it's hard you know you you know how it is it's hard not to talk about uh star trek yeah. generations when you've just seen it <laughs> when you've just seen it you have so much yeah. to say but uh you know we have we have further information for everyone sort of a state of the podcast yeah and <laughs> Yeah, the I pandemic mean, is over. Right, <laughs> and I guess the, like what you I you know let's you want to give the good news or the bad news first? Oh, I don't think there's any bad news. I don't uh, think so either. But I know one fan in particular who feels uh, miffed when he has to wait five whole days for a next episode. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. So, well, well, maybe 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 we'll uh, maybe we'll find a way of just. <laughs> Of getting getting the next episode right to them, I always uh, think on the on the end of the fourth night. Well, I'll just say, uh, friend of the show, Andrew Pangle, mm. and uh, uh, avid listener and close friend as well. He said that to me. I don't know a few months back. 
man, it's always hard to have to wait like five days. He must have and loved I, those Star Wars episodes. I know, yeah. <laughs> Didn't even get to the end of the movie in yeah. that episode. He, I thought for sure it was going to piss him off, and he thought, no, I, I really liked it. It was okay. It was, I was okay with it. Oh, okay. But, uh... I mean, it was, you know, it was a, ser- my cereal, first thought, a cereal for a cereal, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my first thought when he said that was, how dare you? Five days? <laughs> that's, wow. That's not a lot of time to wait. Well, yeah, so... But well, I think I'll... we're gonna... We're, we're, we're gonna transition into most likely... Yes. An episode a week. Yes, one episode every We have been days. going at a furious pace right. for a long time. Two years. Uh, yeah. Over and, two years. You know, I, I think I think we've been generous. Yeah. Um uh, in giving you giving you an episode every five days. And we've also been pretty loosey goosey about taking a week off in between series. So mm-hmm. I would say going forward expect... Sometimes we only wait three or five days between series. Right. Uh <laughs> um you know, I would say expect no more than one episode a week and expect us to take a week off between film series, whether that's, yeah. uh, you know, um, single sequel years or uh, franchises that we tackle. Um, so we're going to be firm about that. But that is not because we want to produce fewer episodes. It's actually the opposite. And this is right. where the good news comes in. Um, hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, but certainly... Uh, shortly in there the, in the, yeah, not in too the near distant future. future yeah so somewhere in the temporal nexus um <laughs> where time does not exist uh, until it very much does until it does <laughs> um we will be launching a patreon for the everything yeah. sequel podcast and um our goal is to um is is to produce um one to two bonus episodes um for patreon subscribers on a on yeah. a on a very regular basis we won't pin ourselves down too much cuz you know this is this is all uh new to us this is all new to us and we're experimenting um but you know we got hat in hand yes we're going <laughs> to we're going to establish a couple of membership tiers that will allow you to get up to two episodes on a uh, on a regular basis um additional to the our uh, once a week uh, regular feed posting so mm. you're not really losing anything and you're gaining a lot is my uh takeaway from from this and Agreed. we're gonna be explore you know we're gonna we're gonna use the patreon uh you know it's obviously for those of you who don't know it's an opportunity for you to pledge some money to us on a monthly basis and uh, you know in in and that's you know just to that's basically sponsorship of of what we do but mm-hmm. it comes with perks of uh, bonus bonus episodes, material, yeah, which we're going to get to you in a timely fashion. Um, and uh, you, the the you know the more you the more you pledge, the more you get. Um, so we won't be more specific than that because uh, <laughs> right. uh, we, we don't we know how, how it's going to go <laughs> up. But it's very it's it's very it's very exciting. And obviously, those bonus episodes are going to be something. Uh, related to but different from what we do here on the on the podcast and correct um, um i think i think in we have some good fun ideas yeah whatever we decide i think you'll be um i think you'll be happy with it and and maybe even pleasantly surprised about what we might uh come up with mm-hmm. um yeah 
And that's that's that, that is literally all I can say about. That's, I have I have no further information. Again, this again, generations is the perfect metaphor for yes. for, for this episode, isn't it? Because we're talking about something that has yet to happen, as right. if it has happened, in a movie which uh, exists in both the future and the past simultaneously, and the now, whatever that is, in yeah. the in the Alan Ruck now, yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to see him with a Gordy Howe jersey on. It may be one. Of it might be one of the Alan Ruck's character in uh, uh, in this movie is sort of one of the few missed. Like <laughs> obviously, I've recently seen all of classic Star Trek uh, series, and mm-hmm. um, most of the time you're like, nah, I can I don't ever need to see that character again, <laughs> yeah, or that right. actor, or both. <laughs> Alan Ruck is one of those those occasions. I'm like, I'm happy for them to bring him back in any iteration, right? <laughs> Both the actor and the character, wherever yes. they want to put him. Absolutely, I'm up, I'm up for it. Well, I tell you what. I mean, do we have any more state of the podcast business? I don't think so. No, we've thank taken you. care of. I, I, I accept just, our thank yous, right? Yeah, I just want to say yeah, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who has um, got in touch with. Uh, pitches and yeah. just general comments and um uh it's been it's been lovely to hear for you we always love to hear uh your perspective and um it always it always contributes to what we do mm-hmm. and it makes it feel uh it's all it's always it's worthwhile getting in a closet and talking to mike chance for for any reason <laughs> i mean i did that before we had a podcast you know yes so I, just, I would just periodically get in a closet want to talk in the closet today? yeah that's right like a, like <laughs> because if you don't know mike is a catholic priest so uh, i regularly <laughs> confess to him um but uh <laughs> you are being misled down a terrible road sir <laughs> i know and that explains where i am in my life right now um but uh so it's worthwhile anyway, but it makes it it makes it feel extra special when you get in touch and tell us how much the podcast has meant to you. Uh, and, and some of those pitches have just been yeah, and giving us know. content and news and ideas on where to go from here. And we listen to all of them. And all I say is, if, if we if we don't do them, we will, uh, mm-hmm. or or we can't. Like it, just, there is some kind of barrier. Yeah, streaming availability is always an issue, but again, the Patreon I think will help with that because if we're able to, if we're able to fund the podcast, well, we can be a bit more cavalier about spending money on, uh, uh, on the films we want to cover. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have said it better myself. Okay, so I won't. <laughs> Except to say, I agree with Tom a hundred percent. We we just uh... Howard Johnson is right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's not quite a sequel, but it'll do. It the yeah, first right. thing that jumped into my mind is Howard Johnson is right. Howard Johnson is right. Yes. Not only is it authentic frontier gibberish. <laughs> we uh, we appreciate and love all the listeners for. I believe uh, getting us past 14,000 downloads as of right now. Oh, great. And while we're at it, I'll go ahead and thank uh, Transistor FM, who pushes our episodes out for us. Thank you very much. Always appreciated. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's good to know we're in safe hands 
uh, in terms of the plot. All right. <clears throat> Agreed. All right. Why don't we take a break? And Thank then you we'll for coming into the mic. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> I got a huge frog. In I appreciate. I appreciate that BTS <laughs> of you coughing directly into the microphone. Thank you. <laughs> that's that's what I'm here for more than anything just to, else. Re- just to remind you of uh, where we came. From, you know how this podcast started. <laughs> the days where we were just we were just you know any kind of. Uh, any kind of bowel noise would just kind of make it into the, well, the sounds of dog collars shaking in the background. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Uh, we got, we have showers, we got pipes, we've got showers and, garbage yeah. disposals. Yeah. And uh, we eliminated that uh, not by improving our uh, sound quality, but by removing all the plumbing in my building. <laughs> and then I went over to your building and did the same. And I thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you 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 didn't at the time. Pissed off my neighbors, but <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna say you weren't crazy about it when I proposed it to you, but I've uh, gotten used you... to the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is living in his own kind of Qatari migrant worker reality yeah. at the moment. All right, this isn't a contest to see how much shit you can pull. All right. <laughs> Everyone, we're going to take a break. Oh, and when I'm, we... I'm, I've been severely misled about the content of this podcast, if that's the case. <laughs> when we come back, you're going to hear the 200th episode. We're talking Star Trek Generations. Very exciting. That's not a reaction you hear often. I know. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here. Basically just starting with Star Trek Generations. Like the movie, it's a reset. Yeah, exactly. A 1994 film. And also a sequel. Directed by David Carson, who I'm sure you don't know. Yeah, I I didn't. He has directed nothing except television. I mean, uh, and a lot of television, including 
Next Generation and other Star Trek yeah. uh, series episodes. And, of course, the movie Unstoppable. No, not that Unstoppable. That's Tony Scott. I'm talking about a 1994 Unstoppable with Wesley Snipes. Can I read something to you, Tom? Please. Unstoppable. Wesley Snipes is Dean. Dean has PTSD after a wet job gone bad in Bosnia. Waiting for his police girlfriend at a dinner, some bad guys inject him with a hallucinogen. It sends him back to traumatic experiences in Bosnia, and he reacts violently. You lost me at wet job. Uh, that's where I exactly. <laughs> I didn't hear the rest of it because I was just thinking, what is a wet job? <laughs> and why would that affect you in such a way? <laughs> yeah, well, the only thing, the only kind of um, relevant title that I saw was uh, From the Earth to the Moon, which is a documentary. Yeah. But it's obviously in the same. But a good one. Kind of, in the same sort of space exploration wheelhouse. Right. And it's funny, so David Carson, you know, he's not a household name, but I found it interesting that, because I read that the producers, the one thing they wanted to make sure happened with this movie, (laughs) which I think bears out when you watch it, is they wanted to make sure it was made quickly. (laughs) And they thought, well... Television directors really have to work under a very strict schedule, so we should get a television guy to do it. (laughs) That's the lowest bar I've ever had in my life. I mean, that's that's, that's narrowly above, we've got to make this before the rights expire. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, it's the same, you've got the same, uh, you've got the same journey, just a different goal. You're right. We gotta just make this quickly because the rights are expiring. Well, but this is actually no. I'm gonna say this is even worse because there's no reason why you have to make this so fast. Yeah, right. Because as you've as, just chosen you know, you, to. Yeah, as you confided to me um, prior to uh, recording, uh, they took they took a couple of weekends off after finishing the finale right. of Next Generation. Yeah. And went straight into this. So you could have given but, him like a a, a, a break. I'll tell you, know? you this. I, I can almost relate because yesterday we had a, a big work party, you know, <laughs> go to a kind of, you know, not a bar, but a uh, like a little beer and wine with, uh, you know, some some decent food and mm-hmm. games, you know, costumes, teams. Uh, kind of just celebrate our our whole year together. Uh, really mm. appreciate you all. We all had just a fantastic time, which led to, you know, a, uh, a brewery after that, which led to a house party after that. And by 7 p.m., I just had to say, guys, I got to go home. I got to watch Star Trek Generations. I'm, <laughs> I'm on a timetable. <laughs> and this is, <laughs> as I walk out the door of a, a raucous party, I thought, this is the life I've chosen. Yeah, very much so. Yes, um, it's 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 monastic, is what yeah, it is. Right. And so you 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 you're um you're sparing you you're you're kind of sparing yourself hedonism. Right. Right. In order to, I don't know. I was gonna say complete a phase of a film series, but that's already happened. So yeah, I don't it know was what complete. This is. 
it it's a it's a, it was complete. It's a trend. I mean, it is a transitional film. Uh, what I'm curious outwardly. about is why do they think they need that transition? Why do they think people need handholding from the old to the new? You know, we just discussed mm. that Next Generation had been around so long the series had yeah, ended seven years. Mm-hmm. And if you if you loved that, you were going to go see a movie. And and speaking as a person who was not a regular watcher of the Next Generation and not even a regular watcher of <laughs> the original series. I, you know, I had to go back yeah. as an adult and just finally start watching episodes here and there. And realize that not many of those episodes are any good. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but if a Star Trek movie comes out, new generation, original series cast, I'm going to go see it. You got me. Like, don't worry. <laughs> I'm there. Maybe I'm not the best test case, but... I like to think that there are plenty of people like me that were going to go see another Star Trek movie. And that kind of bears out. I mean, this movie had a budget of $35 million, opening weekend of 23.1 in the USA, kind of like a lot of these movies, right in the 70s. 75.6 million, 118 Mm. in the world. So this middling weirdo movie still made money. Middling weirdo movie, <laughs> and it even got that is the it even got that is the best description. <laughs> I mean, that is that it would also be a great description of the film's villain. Yes, absolutely. Doctor so- Malcolm McDowell's Doctor Sorrow, middling weirdo. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this movie even well, managed forty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which seems like a miracle to me. Um. Yeah. So. So here's my here's my thoughts. Um. I. Of after we went through the Star Trek, um, TOS film series, uh-huh. we talked extensively about how the Undiscovered Country was the perfect ending. Yeah. Um. So I thought watching Generations again, in light of that, uh, I, I would enjoy it far less. Um. And I absolutely acknowledge that. That um, this is neither the way to yeah. end the TOS era or begin the right. film era of TNG. Nonetheless, and I really am at a loss to tell you why, this film still gives me the warm and fuzzies. <laughs> Which is extra weird because I have no nostalgic attachment to it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see it in 94 when it came out. I have only recently finished The Next Generation within the past year. Right. So no, there's nothing about this film necessarily that I should uh, have any emotional feelings about. And yet every time I watch it, and especially this time, I get a little sentimental and I, I don't understand why. So it's funny you say that because, well, <laughs> I mean, it leads into our what we should be also talking about that we haven't gotten to yet. Whether or not this movie is good or bad. Be- oh yes, okay, all right. Because yeah, I um... I have the same, I have the same I have the same feeling that you do. Yeah. I I'm really struggling with answering that question because. Well, good. At the very least, I think that's that's where we should. This be. movie, as stated before, you know this middling weirdo movie. Weirdo movie, perfect. Uh, you know, there's just no reason for it to, to exist. exist. Yeah, uh, it does not 
at all end anything for the original series in the way that we know Undiscovered Country did. Well, uh, I'll put it this way. Let's take this from the other side as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 TNG era would have been in a far stronger position if it had been following Undiscovered Country with First Contact. Yeah, absolutely, so, right? This uh, this puts the TNG era at a severe disadvantage before it's even before started. it even starts, yeah. And and that's exactly what I was just gonna say. What I was gonna say was that it feels like doing this movie handicaps the next yep. generation, and also kind of retroactively uh, spoils a little of the you know yeah completism of, of course undiscovered country. Yes, of course. <laughs> And then the funny part is, is that, unlike you, I did see this in 1994. Yeah. And then it just sort of, you know, I I have literally not seen it, I don't think, another time Mm. until last night. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And yet. Wow. I've period. I mean, I've I've seen this a good few times at this point. Yeah. If I'd seen it another time, it's not more than once. Hmm. So maybe this is my third time. Yeah. And yet, I still have a little warm and fuzzy. I have some notes that are like, oh, yeah, I remember that from 1994. I really liked that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's it's interesting. The only thing that I can... The only kind of quality of the film that I can attach my attachment to is and this this might have something to do with having seen all the classic trek in the past year mm-hmm. up to this point in uh star trek the casting has been immaculate yeah right from deep space nine onwards it's very hit and miss mm-hmm. like deep space nine is a very strong show but some other performances are it's mixed okay i think the cast of voyager is great much better than material enterprise has is neither and both of those um so it's there is something about seeing a thoroughly well cast movie even a movie that doesn't need to exist or make sense yeah right or really justify itself as a as a complete movie just the fact that everyone in it is so strong and so perfectly cast and and putting in a really great performance uh, that it helps that almost does it for me. That almost makes me want to call it a, a good movie. So um, I feel the same. But as... I'm right. I'm right there on the line because it's yeah. such a, it, it's such a flawed movie it's... from premise onwards. Yeah, it's deeply flawed. So <laughs> I feel the same. The execution is no better than the premise. Yeah, right. And it's funny because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I I feel kind of Jekyll and Hyde about different things. I feel the same you do. Uh, as, in terms of performance and actors. Yeah. I do not feel that way in terms of script. No. Uh, the You know, it feels as... Script's a mess. Yeah. It, it feels as though almost nothing happens in this movie. It feels as though the only two characters <laughs> that really have an arc, which would be Data and Picard, and it feels like they're... Their arcs were sort of wedged in, like like or an afterthought. Uh, Dev, well, I I would say, well, I I'm fifty percent on board with that. I'd say that the Picard arc is is manufactured, whereas uh, ironically, considering that he's a, right, a human, uh, I think I think and, Data's development 
is organically extrapolated from from what we've seen in the series. Okay, and, so that was my question and, and for that, you. The, and that the rest of the TNG era will actually sort of uh, bring what they did in this movie to fruition. But that's really it. I un- I understood because that was my question for you. I kind of I understood because data is artificial. That all makes sense. But the yeah. idea of the emotional chip, I couldn't remember if that ever had come up in the uh, series or not. Yeah, it. So, like, you know, it's it, it's that is that helps and harms the film because the emotion chip. The last we heard, it was destroyed. I see. So there's a bit of a retcon involved. Okay. But I I would say the general trajectory of of Data's uh, humanity and emotional development. I think that all tracks. That is a through line through TNG, the series. Yeah, that does film, very and, and much. And it goes into the... And it's a big part of the next few films. I that I agree really with. That, but I also... That's the only kind of uh, organic, <laughs> ironically, yeah. element, uh, organic element of the story. But there's a, there's a secondary part for me in that in which it's... <laughs> I feel Jekyll and Hyde again. In terms of direction in this movie... I think it's funny, at least for me, the front half of this movie feels like a Next Generation episode. It Definitely. feels like TV. And well, I, I, from the second I, half they, on, yeah. I noticed that I was enjoying this movie a lot more, and the movie itself felt much more cinematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird, isn't yeah. it? It's a weird sort of... And I could say the it same becomes, about... It, becomes, it definitely becomes more cinematic as it yeah, goes. Yeah, and I could say the that. same about... I think the reason I... Uh, you know, the intellectual argument you're making about Data makes sense. Because mm. I understand about his evolution within the series. And so taking mm. that forward makes sense. Yeah. So that's not crowbarred in. But I also felt like his performance... Right after the emotional chip came in, and I, I don't know that it's Brent Spiner's fault. It might be a directing thing, but it's no, not it's Brent Spiner's fault. It's not landing. It's it's not no. very good. <laughs> so here's the thing you need. But to it remember gets better about, later on. Here's the thing you need to remember about Brent Spiner. When you ask him to do something that has the potential to be broad, right? It's a roll of the dice every single time. Okay. That that makes sense. So, yeah. So, um, there are hits and misses, uh, but that is consistent with the way Spiner has played the role. And overall, I think he's great. I think. Yeah, I think. Right. I think it's 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 it. But I always you, remembered you know, him being some of my favorite stuff. Definitely, and it is. But so but, when I was watching you know, this movie, I was I I I was kind of taken aback by how much yeah. I did not like. What was happening on screen? He's just an he's just an actor that can that can pull uh, a misstep out of his out of his sleeve at any given point, okay. performance wise, and that's just the kind of actor he is. Uh, but I I think he you know overall he absolutely does the character justice. I think you're right about that as well. All right, and which is why I never mind you know I I never mind it. Oh, so oh, I don't, well, we haven't. I um, thought there was going to okay. be more to it. I never no, mind. No, no, no. I thought you said I've got that, nothing. Not literally it. nothing else to say about Brett Spiner. <laughs> All right, Brett Spiner. Fine. Um, 
So yeah, I, I'm. So gonna, are you I'm saying gonna, good? I'm gonna say against my better judgment, good. It's again echoes of the Final Frontier. Uh, I, do, I think I, I like I, Final Frontier a little more. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. So I think I I I'm, I could absolutely call this a bad movie because it's at the bottom of my list. Yeah, I, I think so far it's it's below Final Frontier. Final Frontier is a better movie. Yeah, categorically, but. Which again is that's not an obvious statement, is it? I mean, no, right. What most people because for me, would... Final Frontier was right on the edge. You know. Yeah. Oh man, I think I uh, I lean towards bad. I really do. Yeah. But it's so I, close for me. I think you should take the bullet for bad. All right. Because. Um... And yeah, it would be at the bottom of I'm, my I'm list gonna, too. I'm gonna take. I'm. I'm gonna take the emotional cue. <laughs> There's so many, so many Star Trek references in those two two words. I'm gonna take the emotional cue from uh, from the fact that I have a great deal of affection for this movie, and absolutely no reason why I should, should feel that way. <laughs> as an indication that it is in some way a good movie, because it's giving me no reason to feel that way, and yet. I, in spite of myself, I do, and I'm gonna go with that instinct. All right. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 as we go on, I think I'll be, I'm able to, I'm, I'm gonna substantiate it a bit more and say there, 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 I can pick out some moments in it that I really, truly like. Yeah. Really, truly admire, admire, on a, on a number of different levels. Uh, mostly acting, but also you know uh, the script is a mess. But there's there there is some good there are some good moments in there. Mm -hmm. and we put a really high you know we put a high price on that when we did the TOS movies about how much character moments and beats. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And moments of great writing kind of made the difference. And I think they are in here, but they're they're just lost in 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 the net literally in the nexus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the temporal nexus is 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 also the script of this film. As well yes, as exactly. its main science fiction concept. Alright, well uh we'll press on. For the yeah. one of the first things I wanna say is uh I'm not sure a CGI mm -hmm. bottle of champagne has the emotional impact that the filmmakers think it does. We're like two female roommates who've lived together too long and our periods have started to sink because I have exactly the same notes. So, I, this is what I have. My note that was close up on bottle, not inspiring. Uh, here's mine. That champagne looked better when it was far away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminded me, especially in 1994, how computer graphics were not conducive to real life objects. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, you could do that. You could do objects of scale, but anything that was like quotidian, like a like a bottle of wine or mm -hmm. something, just looks really fake. It's a really strange start to the film. It is let's, odd. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's not. Um, Let's not beat about the because book. even the, the, the music is the odd. Well, the Paramount logo is silent, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, ominous music, which gradually rises in volume. That's a really anemic way to start. A I film. wrote down ominous music followed by abyss-like music. Yeah, yeah, and you know, 
if you think about it in relation to TOS, you know, it was just credits in space, wasn't it? Like, you just put the titles in space. Yeah. This feels like more of a concept piece. Yes, exactly, right. Champagne kind of floating through. And you don't know it's a bottle of champagne until it gets really close. And you're both going, oh, it's a bottle of champagne. And, oh, oh see, that really doesn't look like a bottle of champagne. I knew it immediately. Okay. But all I kept thinking was, it doesn't look good. I thought good. maybe it was a... <laughs> I thought maybe it was a probe that was going to really? endanger Earth okay. in some way, but that maybe that's more to do with the previous films. <laughs> right. Um, I was also interested about how they did the billing. Um, uh -huh. Like, everyone's name fades in and out of the other, and it feels more Yeah, like I, th I an, made an that ensemble, note as well, yeah. An ensemble cast than... Because than, very much in the, in the TOS movies, you had your stars and then right. you had your supporting cast. There doesn't seem to be that distinction anymore. Which definitely feels like more like how TNG was as a TV show as well, mm -hmm. um, and the TOS cast are reserved for the end of the titles, making it very clear that that you know this uh, we're doing them a favor. Yeah, uh, right. This is T. This is the TNG era proper, and we're doing these guys a little bit of a favor. Oh, I tell you, the weirdest part of this weird, <laughs> this weird opening. Uh, is William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk yeah. in scare quotes? Yeah, as if he's as if he's not really the character, and also who the fuck else would he be? Right. <laughs> William Shatner as Abraham Lincoln. I mean, what is it? As T.J. Hooker. Yeah, I mean that that uh, credit is so confusing. <laughs> Um, and then you know we we're that the the champagne bottle smashes into the uh, the new enterprise. Yeah, well, and I I also had this lingering thought of where was that bottle thrown out of? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you it was traveling in space a long time. Like you yeah. really must have hit the mark pretty well. It, it could easily sail by if you yeah. you know. It's you know it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's such it's, a silly. Like everything in this concept. Film, well, that's it. Like everything in this film, if you think about it conceptually, it works. If you try and break it down from there, right. it, is, it is unfathomable. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I like this is a nice. I liked. Uh, I'm sure this was a huge disappointment to most people that we weren't going directly into like the Picard Enterprise era. But yeah, um, right. I I like the bait and switch here. It's like you expect it to be. We're going on the bridge um, of Picard's Enterprise, but, you know, the first thing you see is those TOS movie uniforms. Well, and I guess because there's sort of a famous, you know, in Star Trek or at the end of Star Trek Four, hmm. you have the remade Enterprise and it's the Enterprise A. Yeah. And for fans of the show, I suppose they knew that Picard's was C. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to, again, bridge the gap and show yeah. them what happened with B. Yeah. I, and I that's, mean, that's the generation that... before Picard. Yeah, that's clearly the impetus here. Um, I mean, I think this uh, this sequence does a, does a number of things. There is that, you know, this bait and switch. It's 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 a handover, but not the one we expect. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's it's Shatner handing the gauntlet to Alan Ruck's uh, captain, who is uh, not fit for the job. Yeah. Um, uh, space paparazzi is my yeah. Is yeah. My next <laughs> I one. have that note. The the lo the Lobot man uh -huh. um, with the camera in his head. 
uh, so can I mean it's confusing how media works in Star Trek and sure this this the 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 news crew with the head cameras doesn't help one bit. No, yeah, not at all. Confusion. <laughs> what some muddles it more. There's a moment of direction I really like uh, when Shatner playing James T. Kirk. Mm-hmm. Just in case you're wondering, um, enters onto the bridge in the scare quotes. Uh, I love the fact that it, it that it's being made a big deal of in world. Yes, right. But it's dampened for us as viewers. Like sure. if you if you contrast it to the way he enters in Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. you know that's that's big silhouette against the blue screen. Right, right. And this is like, and that's exact, and it tells you immediately this weird in between status he has on this new bridge, mm-hmm. and let's face it, in relation to TNG. Yeah, right. <laughs> which I think is the point they're trying to make. It's like everything that Kirk is on this bridge of the Enterprise is what Shatner is to the next generation. Sure, right. And I think they get that across directorially really quite well. Yeah, I'll, I agree with that. Um. Because you, he's just like, and I think it's kind of, you know, once once the shit kind of goes down, I think it's kind of fun and interesting to watch Shatner Mm. know what to do, but be bottled up by the conventions of the military industrial complex that he works in. Yeah, and he can't take over the ship, and until Alan Ruck says, "Hey, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I really could use some help." Yeah, and it's I, fun to. I, I think it's kind of fun yeah. to watch Shatner go through that. I I do. I think it's they. It reminds me that that whatever in whatever manifestation we see Kirk in in these films, they always find an interesting emotional place for him to start them. Yeah, with. right. And this is another good one. It's like it's like this is his bridge, but there's a, another captain. It's also and just to you know add insult to injury. It's a captain who's not who's not worth the title. Yeah. And what is nice about the sequence and the way it develops um, is that Kirk, Kirk has you, you get there's a level of fan service in that you, Kirk gets to be the captain of the Enterprise again. Mm-hmm. But even in this few minutes of screen time, he has to earn it. Yeah, right. It has to become a life or death situation that neither the ship nor the captain can cope with. And then they get the 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 best probably the best piece of writing in the whole movie. They get a chance and, and this is done so badly in so much new track. Mm-hmm. They get a chance to put Kirk in the chair, yeah, the right. captain's chair, which is of course what everyone wants to see. He sits there for a second and then he says, "No. I no, can't this do this. Not... It's not yeah. yeah. I've got a different you know, and they, and they paint a different dimension, which yeah. is that his heroism becomes that of self-sacrifice, not of captaincy. Yes. And, you know, it's all, and, and you know, bled into that is this idea of this is the movie where he hands over the captaincy, mm-hmm. at least in cinema, to to a different actor, to a different character. But um, like you said, I think it's interesting that they chose... And this is part of chose... the catharsis of that, isn't it? He has to accept right. that... that you know, he spent uh, six movies <laughs> taking back the captaincy of the Enterprise right. long after he was supposed to. Yeah, and this is the movie where they draw the line and say, "No, he will. He will. This will he be is a not, of the Yeah, conflict. exactly. Yeah, but he but he has to try it out first with Alan Ruck before he can do it first. He's got to at least get his cheeks on the seat. 
Yeah, and so as the best bit of writing in the movie, I think, because and also you know, and again, this is this is what modern franchise cinema gets so wrong. We're able to see him as equally heroic as we've seen him before, but in a totally different way. Yeah, because you know, if you think about the equivalent, it's Spock at the end of Wrath Wrath of Khan, Khan, right? right. He's the guy who's always on the bridge holding it together. Or it's even, it like, reminded me a little bit of the, uh, you know, obviously because this ends up being more heroic, but it re- also reminded me of Spock and Bones getting the torpedo together in Undiscovered yes, Country. Yes. You know, it has that Yeah, feel. absolutely. Um, so, I, I I mean, it's, I, re- I really like the sequence and, and, and I'm in two minds about whether they should have Halloween resurrectioned it and sort of, kept it separate from the rest of the film mm-hmm. just let it be its own mini movie because mm-hmm. it's as it's as an effective send-off yeah of kurt right uh as any as as the certainly one they the one they give him, give him the at the end yeah which i which they like reshot well. for five million dollars by the way uh, not that i particularly mind that either i just you know I was trying to put myself in the position of someone's watching this for the first time and i think i would be satisfied if this was how they mm-hmm. They they kind of you know um, it was this was the period they put on uh, on Captain Kirk's story. Yeah, I would have been uh, happy with. It. I'm also happy with how fast we get out of space dock, which is uh, I think about as fast as it's ever happened. <laughs> and also you know, but we're also reset. This is the weird thing about this movie is we're also uh, we're trying to move into a new era, but we're also resetting to the beginning of the TOS era, because the Enterprise is back on a training mission with a crew. Yeah, right. With, with right. like a novice crew, which is exactly how Wrath of Khan begins. Yeah, and with a and that's with a very with deliberate. an Enterprise that isn't fully equipped or fully working. I think it even goes back a little further to the motion picture with the the sort of reprise of the transporter tragedy Mm -hmm. where Scotty says, you know, I only managed to get 47 out of a hundred. Yeah. Right. And I immediately put to mind those weird transporter monsters from, from motion picture. Picture. And, Uh, you know, speaking to what, you know, this movie is supposed to be a bridge and well, obviously it's supposed to introduce the next generation cast. And it's, I mean, it's 18 minutes before we even see any of them. Uh, with the exception of, um, Guinan, Whoopi Goldberg. Yes, that's true. Um, who is the the most obvious? Uh, she was obviously going to be a part of this movie. One because it's a time travel movie, and that's that was Guinan's. Guinan was the go to time travel character in mm-hmm. Next Generation, and it's also Whoopi Goldberg. She's a big name actor. Sure, so it was a no brainer that this film was going to sort of focus on her. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess you couldn't get away with it being a mini movie, because mm-hmm. Guy. Oh well, I guess Guinan could be just the only connective tissue because her species lives so long. It would make it would sense make sense to be there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, Mel- you know, the villain is introduced in these scenes as well. Right. But we don't know at the time that. I mean, we get a sense because it's Malcolm McDowell. Sure. He's going to become. He's going to be in the rest of the movie, but uh, there's nothing narratively that holds us to that. Mm-hmm at this point um and you know also the fact that it's this is a like 
Kobayashi Maru for the retired Starfleet captain. Yeah, right. Isn't it? Yeah. It's like a t- can you be a retired Starfleet captain? You know, this is the this is the no win scenario. It has to sit there and watch a younger captain fuck things right, up. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like talk about no win. Yeah, the exact right point to intervene and then go off and die. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like. <laughs> and this was one of the things I always remembered too when the whatever the ribbon takes out a the the chunk nexus yeah when it when, say when, its name say its name <laughs> when it takes out a chunk of the front of the enterprise and in a movie that where there uh, a lot of times i don't think the effects are up to par no uh but when you you know you have that that section come out they realized that kirk was there and they saw the section yeah yeah they, oh no oh sorry no no no, no I'm, I'm jumping the gun carry on well and they go down there and uh you hear i think sulu's daughter say that the shields have been restored mm-hmm. and just the idea that they could be you know on the ship and looking out and seeing outer space uh but they're safe and then they have that sort of shot as it pans by i remember mm. that shot from 1994, yeah. I I always remember thinking that's cool. I like that shot. Yeah, and this this, unsurprisingly, I think this this section of this this uh, I don't know prologue of the movie that that really kind of sticks with me. Didn't even mention Sulu's daughter. Yeah, because um, there's a I mean, there's a there's a moment there's, there's a already... moment of surpri- there's a moment of surprise. Uh-huh. And for a second, you think it's going to be because everyone thought Sulu was gay. And then you're that it that it's like oh it's because it's like how did he have the time to do this all right I get it yeah. I get it. <laughs> but what I like too is that is it I think it's Duhan I think it's Scotty that says yeah. uh, introduces well not introduces oh I think but, it's Chekhov is it who introduces them yeah and he said and one of them says yeah he's got a lot of interesting stories about Captain Kirk and you felt like maybe they're talking yeah. about off screen shit. He certainly right? does. <laughs> but um, nothing is more delightful, I guess. Is it delightful? I don't know. But like watching, watching, I think so. watching Kirk look at Doohan, looking at Scotty, yeah. and and really giving it to him in that moment of uh, I can't even remember what it was he says. What's he say to him? Where he says it must be so nice for you to comment or 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 uh you know it's a good thing you're an engineer with tact yeah. like that yeah and you exactly. just get the sense of like how much they fucking hate each other really yeah it's a it, i mean it's a meta it's such a meta sequence in so many different ways um i also the fact that at one point he says beam them out of there scotty which I think is as close as we get to saying the famous yeah. line that no one ever says right. from Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty. I think that's that's what Star Trek Generation pushes it as close to uh, like unaf- like public domain right, Star right, Trek. Right. <laughs> as, you can, as, as you can get. That's great. Um, and, you know, there's a sense that they're cranking out all the classics while they can. The fo- they, they, they talk about the photon torpedoes as if they mean as much in in world as they do in fandom right it's like the actors are it's like even the actors are aware of how tropey this all uh-huh. is um yeah so i mean i i think it's a really it's a really effective 
sequence. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I understand, like, again, it's this, the, I understand why people might find it disappointing, but I do think it needs to be there. Yeah. Uh, I think. Well, once you decide to make the movie, yeah. <laughs> once you decide to make the movie, yes. And I think it's, it's, it's skillfully done. Um, and I like, I like the acting within it, particularly Shatner and Rook, mm-hmm. who, um, I also, I like the, listen, I like the idea that not every Enterprise captain over history is, is the, the greatest, captain. yeah, captain, yeah, right. Because that also, to me, that also, by default, makes, uh, Picard more interesting, mm-hmm. right? And, and if there's still fans out there who don't see them, you know, they can't see Picard as an, an equal. natural successor to Kirk. Right. Yeah, or an equal to Kirk. I think this would help, because you'd be like, well, the, you know, the Look what it could have been. It could have been... Could have been uh, Cameron. You know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, yes. Or, or, or Alan Rook's character from Succession, which is basically right. who yeah. this guy yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, why don't we take another break? Yeah, no, we're past the scene. We got, we got past the first scene. Which is usually how far we get. (laughs) And all we got to do is talk about the film itself. The rest of the movie. The rest of the, of the movie. All right, we'll take a break and we'll do just that right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beer. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. We're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing for our 200th episode, Star Trek Generations, the 1994 film directed by No One Knows. <laughs> Not Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, yeah, which exactly. Is the, which is the director you after. To be. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, David Curson. Yeah. It's, it has some good moments. It does. And what, Directorially. Like, this front scene, I think, is good, and there's another one in particular that I really like. There's, there's another one. Yeah, there's at least one more. There is another. Wrong, wrong, wrong franchise. Wrong franchise. So, uh, <laughs> let's go, let's uh, pick up with the most confusing, unless you have anything to say about uh, 
Kirk's not exit from from the show from the <laughs> no no from the movie. Yeah, I think I said everything I wanted to say. Yeah, uh, one of the most confusing time jumps I've ever seen in a film. Right, seventy eight years later, but um, we're on a seafaring enterprise, which appears to be sometime in the seventeenth century. Yes, you really this this is where like. This is that moment where you realize that they've been making TNG for so long. They think that this is another episode of the series because you really need the holodeck backstory. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Cold. You'd be seriously confused as to why we're on a on a boat. My, my other past. note is this feels like a lot of rigmarole for a promotion. Yeah. I mean, I get that they have the hollow, you know, the holodeck, but they also they are costumed. Talking, talking to you, what I'm starting to realize about pretty much every aspect of this film is that it's a lot stronger conceptually than it is visually, in, <laughs> or in, exec- in execution. In execution like, yeah, right. Yeah, because uh, you know, I I get what they're trying to do here. You know, like Worf is in chains. He's about to be executed in this, you know, pretend yeah. whatever promotion. Uh, and that that is all about you know excising the TOS Klingon human conflict. Right. It, it it the fact that this is all just a ruse and that he's actually getting promoted shows that we've surpassed that way we think about the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still apparently willing to use them as stock villains whenever I necessary. Totally, which I gotta tell you, yeah, that, I was, but, you know, I totally forgot about Klingons in this movie. And we and we said that about Final Frontier. Right. So I was I was fascinated that you have this front scene and then bring them back as villains, but right. I guess they thought they were being. We we need a movie of Klingons. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so Final Frontier, they were shoehorned in. Undiscovered Country was all about the Klingons. Right. This film already will have Worf in it by its very nature. Uh, we do not need Klingon villains. Right. I think they thought they were being more progressive because they were women. Well, they're they're legacy characters from the series as okay. well. I, 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 I suspect that you might be right about that. I suspect their priority was more... We think we think that these are fan favorite characters. I don't. Know, right. I don't think that's true. Right. I think that's what the writers thought. It's like these are the first people you'll want to see mm-hmm. come back into the fold. <laughs> um, uh, yes, and and you know he's been promoted to lieutenant commander, so they're sort of developing from the finale of TNG, just like that TOS did with their movie series. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think this is about like never underestimate a Klingon, putting all the pre the past prejudices to bed. Um. It, it's a, but it's a, but it's it's so it's trying to kind of it's it. This is contradictory in relation to TNG because we're trying to move on from the end of the finale, mm-hmm. but we're also also reintroducing everyone and there's a reset yeah. to the way the characters were at the beginning um it's interesting because interestingly and this can't be a coincidence the f- you know the first time we see picard he's the sea captain right and when uh when uh patrick stewart met gene roddenberry to talk about the character of picard he handed him the horn the book of hornblower Mm. and said everything you need to know about the characters in there 
And that was it. That was the entirety of the meeting. And Patrick Stewart said, that was that was amazing. Like, oh, wow, interesting. It gave, it gave me the freedom to build the character, but told me like what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, and he is he's Horatio Hornblower I think I think right. like specifically in this opening scene so there's this there's like a and you know and they make references to R- Riker's womanizing and that he cooks mm-hmm. and this is all sort of like re-establishing characters that we already know while simultaneously trying to move them along yeah like develop them past the last time we saw them so it's a really weird mix of characterization um interesting quite frankly picard's family tragedy doesn't help yeah (laughs) resolve this contradiction because i think this is a threefold move by the writers Mm. by having his nephew and his brother die in a fire at the vineyard right i know the the grape grapes were too flammable i don't know uh, (laughs) what can happen um but um but i think i think global warming finally caught up it get they 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 reset Picard to how he was at the very beginning of TNG, like extremely emotionally repressed, because now he's got to be a captain while this tragedy has happened. Yeah, and he's got to pretend that he doesn't have emotions, which is the original Picard before he got developed over seven seasons right, of television. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But you also, but that also plays into that contradictorily because you get to see him cry and express emotions, which is something they would never do with the. the I did have a note here that I thought he was doing the best crying acting possible with some of the worst dialogue. Yeah, he's so good. I mean, it makes it it, it makes the soap opera. (laughs) I really couldn't. I couldn't believe that he was, you know, being able was able to take it that far with the dialogue he was given. And that's why casting matters. Yeah, that's right. Why it, it, do, it does. There's times in this movie where it really elevates it above the material. And I think that well, the third thing I think is they, they want to make him a character. They want to make him a character ripe for cinema in the in exactly the way they did with Kirk in Wrath of Khan. Mm. Because they, they have Picard come into this film questioning aging and mortality because of what's happened. Yeah, right. And I think this this threefold maneuver is what they're trying to do with the character of Picard at all times. Unfortunately, you know, these will rub against each other. Right. Uh, moving forward, because you can't have these three trajectories of characterization all happen at once. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what they were trying I to do. I think that's what they were... Yeah, right. Um, and like you say... The fact that pa- Patrick Stewart gives it as good a go as possible, right? Uh, but even an actor as as fantastic as him can't can't uh, convey that all at once. Mm-hmm. Um. However, Malcolm McDowell <laughs> <laughs> can really you can accept you can accept any level of characterization from uh, from him. Um, and he's back. He comes back, and that's the that's the first indication, isn't it? That's like, oh, this is all going to be part of the same story. Yeah, right. Um, and he's also the same race as Guinan. So mm-hmm. they're using they're using her. She's he's evil Guinan, basically. Yeah, sure, Bizarro. Um, and uh, yeah, you like you said about the emotion chip. I had to note that it's way too easy to take the top of his head off. <laughs> 
you know what what the best thing about that is when you watch through TNG it's a different it's a different orifice every time. Really? <laughs> every time they open data off it's coming out of a different place. I think eventually they settle on the head. That's funny. But you can do you can basically you can turn data on and off through a variety of orifices. That's great. It seems. So at this point we we we're trying to mention a lot of uh legacy okay. elements of TNG. Spot so I I mean I obviously had the pet. sense that the cat was involved, but I, I honestly could not remember in what way. Yeah, he's had a he had a cat he has a cat for most of TNG. They also mentioned that there's a Romulan threat, which I mean TNG, mm-hmm. they were the they were the Klingons of TNG, the Romulans. They were the sort of most recurring villain. Um but it's kind of quite interesting because you know they 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 re they're reintroducing it all at the same time, so you don't need to have seen TNG to sort of figure out that both of these are right. ongoing characters and storylines. Um, but they'll also they'll recap it for you fairly fairly. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. I mean, you're getting some some character stuff, but. You know, I I have some notes that I thought it was interesting, for instance, that Picard's looking at a photo album. And obviously this movie's made in 1994, mm-hmm. so they did not really predict the 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 digital age, you know? And, they always get away with that from Picard because yeah, they've right. established that his family was kind of backwards, that they they were trying to live a sort of 19th century life with the whole vineyards, and they had they hadn't technologized the vineyards. Anything you so want, so you could literally get away yeah. with any kind of antiquity in Picard's hands. Yeah, but what what was also interesting about that is you tend to think of this movie as sort of dispensable in terms mm-hmm. of the overall Star Trek mythology. Um, but he mentions that his ancestors were uh, yes. involved in the Martian colonies. And this is this is something that they turn like this is they're still turning lines like this into Star Trek TV shows because mm-hmm. that's the basis of Picard <laughs> season two. That's great. That one line. Also, plenty in that photo album contradicts everything in Picard season two, but still, it, it's uh, it's interesting that that they run with certain things and don't run with with other things. They call out the pilot of TNG. They Geordi uh, and Data talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Something that happened during the Farpoint mission. Yeah, because pointing that's out that it was one of my years ago, so this joke's mean... not working. Well, this joke's not working, but at least the bad part, jokes yeah, and right, puns right, are right. part of the psychological storytelling. They, I mean, there's a lesser film that would just shoehorn mm-hmm. those kind of jokes and puns in any way without it being part of Data's emotional development. Um, it's quite funny to see. Brent Spiner purposefully right. doing bad comedy because of the many times he has just done bad comedy. I also have a note here. He is, he's really and is. Yeah, a great that's true. Man, he's a great straight man. As he was man. in the series. I have a note here that for about 15 or 20 minutes, David Carson must have been pals with Sam Mendes because this movie gets really yellow. <laughs> it gets really yellow. <laughs> As we're introduced to Soren, yes. Well, and what I'm what just do you think struck about me as so- funny. What do you think about Soren? Because my thought is that this is a so this is the last 
TOS film series style villain that we will ever see in a in a Star Trek. Well, movie. what I, what's interesting to me is because we're kind of talking about these movies, this movie on the same level as, or well, maybe not on the same, but but there are two detracting movies, five, <laughs> and this movie that people seem to think maybe they're they're the least of all of them right right and 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 dr soren i have the note is very cyborg and it's that so that's what i was going to say that my note <laughs> is he feels very cyborg they they yes. feel they feel right at the same level of villainy yeah. in which they're you could see a world in which malcolm mcdowell played cyborg and and yeah you could switch them out and and, and you know whatever he's called L- lawrence lucky charm or whatever his name is uh, <laughs> plays dr soren right yeah, but they feel on the same level character-wise. They're villainous, but they're not despicable. They're not filled with no. hate and rage. They're not, you know. Yeah, there, there's, you know, he he's he's got a sympathetic backstory. Yeah, he he, which which is rem- also reminiscent of Khan. You know, like yeah. he's doing the wrong things, but for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Or well, nah, that, I don't know the right reason. Yeah, that maybe you know. <laughs> well, you know, if you thought if you thought that a this man... guy's imploding two stars, <laughs> kill, <laughs> killing everything <laughs> that's nearby, just to go back uh, to whatever was his happy place. Yeah, I was thinking more of whether that was accurate about Khan, but I think it's more accurate of Khan because from Khan's perspective, Kurt killed his wife. Yeah. So, um, but. Here, his wife died, and he wants to see her again. I guess. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little fuzzy, <laughs> as with as with everything in this film. But what do you um, make of McDowell's performance overall? It well, it's it goes between camp and one note. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I mean, know. It's, like, it's... like there are times what there are times when I I think it's kind of by this point in his career, you know, he's done he's done so much kind of. Yeah, obviously Malcolm McDowell, Clockwork Orange, yeah, if, sure. uh, Oh Lucky Man, Britannia Hospital. He's, he's capable of these great iconic cult performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, this is also I think post Tank Girl or is it pre Tank Girl? Or mm-hmm. he he's basically done a lot of B movie shit to it. as well. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of B movie Hollywood shit. And so there are times when I think you know, it's got to the point where he can do something that's enjoyably camp, but there are times when he's just literally phoning it in as well. Yeah, right. I had the same And it, it goes between them. I, I like his interaction with Jordy. Nothing really to do with him, um, but the idea that, you know, he's as offended by how anachronistic Jordy's visor is as about, you know, setting him up as a spy yeah. on the Enterprise. He's just like, get, there's, a, there's a hint of, get this visor off him. It's not 1987 anymore. Right. So I kind of like that um, that exchange. But yeah, it it just, it feels like, it's like, a, you know, if, if you were to write the blueprint of what a TOS mm. v- uh, film or episodic villain would be. It'd be this guy. Doctor Saren would be like the working title for, yeah, right, right, for the character right, yeah. that they would put up on the on sure, the whiteboard. On the board. 
And it's like, we'll come up with something later, but let's call him, for now, let's call him Dr. Let's call him this. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Um, And in some ways, it's a tribute to that, but it's too, to me, it's too generic, too much of a trope to be outstanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, and and I think, yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't feel like he's necessarily facing off with either Kirk or Picard in the same way that well and that's I mean that's one of the problems with the third act of the movie but yeah because you gotta we got some tag team wrestling yeah exactly I mean it it, that's exactly what it feels like Um, Uh, even the movie itself has lines like who the hell are you (laughs) Uh, It's it's really interesting uh, having said all that you know having had that that scene with with Worf and going to a great deal of trouble to sort of put the Klingon mythology to bed. Klingon but I also think it's funny as cloaks out of nowhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> at this point, and it's like need more needless Klingon and cloaking. Needless Klingons and needless cloaking. Cloaking is part of their deal, Tom. I mean, you're just gonna have to accept it. But it, it was never this much part of the deal. <laughs> I think later on in the movie, even there's even like a missile is cloaked. Yes. And it's like, come on, <laughs> guys, you've got to break free from some of these, some of these tendencies. Well, you've mentioned it before that the tendencies that start that start early yeah. on that we see, you know, yeah, most specifically the- destroying an enterprise. Well, this 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 movie this this movie uh, you know continues that trend as well, right? In a dangerous direction. Yeah, this is where. So I mean, data. So data's crippled with fear, right? Uh, which is kind of it's like a hokey premise, right? It's sort of like exactly the moment you need data to. Who, by the way, is pretty much invincible, right? Yeah. Which is something that they're always writing against because there's no drama in yeah, him exactly. being able to beat anyone at any time. So this is a kind of hokey premise, but I feel like, like good TV writers, they're able to interweave multiple storylines mm-hmm. quite well. And so it's kind of nice that this is the moment at which Data sort of breaks down and that allows Soren to escape. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, okay, that's quite a good... But I mean, it's very TV. I was So that, that was I'm my complaint it. about it. It was... I was sniffing a little bit just because it felt yeah, so episodic as opposed to... Oh, absolutely. Well, and then know. the Juras sisters, uh, you know, hoping the audience will whoop at seeing them again. So, And um, it's funny because I don't know them. I, I must not have seen any of well, those episodes. Well, they're not ep- in that much episodes. TNG. But, okay. Um, and, and there will be in no more Star Trek. Right. <laughs> thanks to this film. Well, um, thanks to this film and... Uh, footage from Star Trek 6 The Undiscovered Country. Right, right. Um, but that's one of my, you know, I really like that that whole section. Oh, okay. Which, which, which section? The fight. I like the... I mean, well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, so maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but... but uh, in term- oh, the, the, you're talking about the submarine drama. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, again, I think that is that the, the right at that sort of, you know... Let's think of them as TO the TNG writers are also TOS fan writers. Yeah, right? sure. They're probably people who've written Star Trek fan fiction before. Mm-hmm. And so obviously when they get a chance to do their Star Trek movie, they're gonna have a, a submarine drama 
scene in the, <laughs> in the style of Balance of Terror or Wrath of Khan. Yeah, right, right. Um, and and they do it pretty well. I think so too. Um, yeah, I, I no, love the and, you know the decloaking, it's, it's, the shields coming down. You get the, you know, you get the yeah uh, number one fire. It's even good in Final Frontier. That's how foolproof. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's just, and then you know, that's that's authentic Gene Roddenberry. That was his his vision for the series. You know what I think sells it too is actually the two actors playing the Klingon women, because when they realize right. how much they've fucked up and that they're yeah. gonna die, and there's that look, you know, on on the screen of just the two of them, center frame. It's great. They're so good. Oh, well, and also they get to um, they get to poke fun at the expense of of TNG the series as well because at one point they comment on Geordie's the only engineer who is never in engineering. Which yeah, I think right, is yeah, that's funny. Like a, they're poking fun at their own writing tropes, mm-hmm. um, ha- having him like you know being uh, a part of the bridge crew when he right. really should be in engineering by by all intents and purposes. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of real estate spent on data's emotional growth, mm-hmm. and this is a indication, and we'll see this going forward that the film, uh, even more so, I think, than the TV series, or it was pretty big deal in in the TV series, are fixated on data and Brent <laughs> Brent Spiner, Brent Spiner as an actor. sure. Like he's still playing character. He's still playing like. Um, antecedents of data in picard season two. Oh wow yeah okay so he stays he's been in he he has been in this entire tng timeline right um and the films i think he was involved i think he co-wrote at least one of the we'll see when we get there of one of the um tng movies so but it was interesting to me that generation even generations is like we're gonna this is this is what we're pinning the the films on, right? Yeah. Rather than Patrick Stewart, which is, I think, also kind of interesting. Well, I think it's... they were thought they were doing, a a same level kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess they have that key scene, that key scene together, don't yeah. they? Which is just like your average Star Trek planning scene, mm-hmm. with a lot of emotional angst, like transplanted onto it. But yeah, sort of that that was the that was the that was really the first moment I got invested and interested in his emotional chip. Mm-hmm. Was when he's talking to Picard about it, and Picard. It's a bit more low key in that scene, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and like, Picard had like, to like, lay down the I line. Can't concentrate, my friend is in trouble. I can't concentrate. Right. And then I quite again like this is like pilot Picard. It's just like. Does uh, like you know stiff up a lip? Come on, yeah. we do this all the time. But then he also takes the time to say, "Yeah, this is how human beings work." And you're gonna, yeah. you know, like once he's he, also once he gets him to over... refocus. Yeah, because he's also the the Picard who was like finally sat down and is playing cards with the crew. There you go. So he's both simultaneously, and I yeah. think that's that again is like we get so many different versions of these characters based on the different. <laughs> drives at certain moments of this film and all of them are interesting they just don't all belong in the same movie or in the same yeah right and we're um, we're i don't know maybe we jumped ahead but because he also has no. that he had, well but he has that conversation with uh Guinan. yeah no i think i think we're we're about is that where we we're are about there uh, um well is this the 
the one that takes place in the real world or when she's sitting on a carousel? In the real world, yeah, right. Okay. So when, in the I real know, world... She's in that in-house carousel. When she's in uh, the real world and explaining yeah, uh, yeah. that, you know, this is the... You don't want anything to do with this. You don't want to go there. You'll never leave there. You're staying there forever because it's your happy place and just avoid it at all costs. Let him do what he's going to do. Or maybe... Uh, does she say that? I can't even remember. What what did she, she say? What? When she's talking about Soren, when he's, I guess I I can't remember if she said just let him go or if she was like you have to stop him at all costs or was it neither? <laughs> the fact that I don't remember probably says it all. Yeah, that's about, true. Um, well, yeah, I mean, but he's you know he's. Uh... But it's the it's the scene with Data where he realizes that it it's kind of taken out of his hands mm-hmm. because this guy's gonna destroy a world. Yeah, right. So it's not even a question. I think that the they write their way out of him having to make that decision because he's bound by being a Starfleet captain to save those lives. Although, quite interestingly, I, I feel like. No one mentions the Prime Directive because these are pre-warp civilizations, and if you go in by the letter of that law, right, he should be leaving this alone <laughs> and just saying it's part of their natural development. If we interfere, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna affect their um, the evolution of the solar system. So it's kind of that's they're, interesting. They're, they're kind of there's there's moments like that throughout this movie. I think there would be much more debate about whether or not they would kill Dr. Soren at mm-hmm. the end of this movie, as opposed to just blowing him up without a second thought. Yeah. I think that is where TNG, the series and TNG, the, the, the film series, uh, part ways, I think. All right. Um, but again, he's saying, he, he's saying, um, you know, we're returning to the themes of the TOS movies, particularly Wrath of Khan, when he says in that conversation, it's our mortality that defines us. Yeah. Right. I mean, that could have been straight out of that, uh, that scene between, Kirk and Bones, right? Mm-hmm. At the beginning of Wrath of Khan. And I like that thematically that's where they There's a through line. They still are. And that's what makes this that's it's elements like that that makes me makes it feel more TOS than TNG. Interesting. Yeah. Alright, friend, well why don't we take another break and then we'll come back and finish up. That's yeah, let's uh let's um finish up the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by the Sounds in Cinema podcast. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds in Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound-related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! 
Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Star Trek Generations. That 1994 film that nobody can figure out why they made. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's like a it's like a reunion film before anyone had a chance yeah, to right. <laughs> like not see each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect way of putting it, frankly. Yeah, I, I yeah, it, it kind of is. And I mean, and it also if you put it in historical context, uh, Shatner's like 3 years away from undiscovered country. Right. Yeah. That's not that's not a long time not to be playing to, Captain Kirk. Yeah, Clark. exactly. That's the normal space of time between most sequels. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, when last we left, we were kind of talking around this, you know, this big fight battle scene between the Enterprise yeah. and the Klingons. And, I mean, we talked around it, but was there anything else for you within that battle? Because, like I said before, oh, so for me... Like, this is when the movie gets really good. This is when Star Trek is starting to feel like Star Trek, and I'm really digging that scene. And a big part of that for me is um, the some of the, the story choices they make at this point um, mm-hmm. to make it feel more like old-school Star Trek. Right. Namely, putting a beaming Picard down to the planet. Right. Not not only does he get to sort of shuffle around a few rocks, which is classic TOS TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, Riker, who is you know closest closer to Kirk in uh, leadership, in leadership style, yeah, right. It gets gets to be in charge of the Enterprise, so effectively we we get like a Kirk surrogate mm-hmm. um, on the bridge because we do we, also... we even get that moment of fire. Yeah, yeah, you know? and I mean. The zoom, the zoom in and the fire, and nobody does that better than Jonathan Jonathan Frakes. It's good shit. Um, uh, and put it just by sort of taking Picard out of the picture for for a few minutes. Um, Deanna and Worf can sort of become useful on the bridge. I was gonna say there is, you know, a lot of the secondary characters past Data. Yeah. In this particular movie, we're not getting a lot. It's they have real. It's really interesting to me. Like when in the TOS era, the balance of of supporting cast getting something to do was always pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, some movies focused more on the the central trio like Final Frontier, but you always got a sense that that would be rectified in a in a, in movie. the next one. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, we'll talk about it. You know, when we come to do these uh, do the next generation movies, but you never get that sense of an ensemble that you got. Um, in the TV show itself, and the other thing I noticed uh, was particularly Worf because he's not right. on, like he's he's always moonlighting from his job on Deep Space Nine, so they have to have so he he he's a he's already like a bit of a stranger there, yeah, and that's how the films treat him from this point onwards. <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing this I noticed was something to do. The other thing I noticed was that uh, 
they don't feel as literary as TOS. Or no, at least this, the, this one doesn't. No, although I, I, I think there's a real Christmas Carol vibe once we get into the Nexus. And I oh, don't very think much. It's a, and I don't think it's a coincidence that um, Patrick Stewart ha, has was been doing, doing a, that. <laughs> yeah, doing a Christmas Carol solo show on Broadway since 91. Mm -hmm. So like midway through uh, Next Generation. And I think those are deliberate references. But yeah, apart from that, um, it it feels uh, well. Well, because like, in the other movies, next, they're next even talking about literature. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a really good point. I hadn't hadn't thought about that, but that's certainly, um, that's certainly a a big difference. In this sequence, we also get some kind of some callbacks to. Uh, well, we get callbacks and inversions, which is great because that's our it's our bread and butter. Bread and butter, <laughs> but you know, uh, Data is acting human. Yes. When you know his usual role in the series, especially when he's on the bridge, is that he, you know, he's just he's the guy who knows everything and can do everything and dispassionately. But they flipped it on its head. I like that uh, inversion. Give... Yeah, I, I it mean, starts it, it starts working for me in this part portion yeah, of the film. It's fun. He sort of becomes a liability mm -hmm. uh, on the bridge, which we this is something we've never seen. Well, I say we've never seen that before. When he when he's remote controlled by his uh, <laughs> by his creator to like sabotage the bridge. That's that that. But that aside, he was running amok there. Yeah, he was. He, that, that wasn't him at full capacity. Uh, although, why they, as Matt Myra said, why they ever let him back on the Enterprise after that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> But there we should have be a real that... kind of chains on the boat. Yeah, yeah, for him. <laughs> yeah. He should be. He should be <laughs> instead of hollow chains. He should have literal right. chains on him. Um, but here was we get the saucer section separation, yes. which is a big deal because it happened for the first time in the pilot episode of uh, of TNG, and it was basically the one thing Roddenberry that was his major ambition for the the series is that that he's always he'd always wanted to see the source of separation and he'd never had the ability to do it effects wise or resources or money or anything i see so it happens here and and it's interesting because it's a tribute to obviously rod and Bree's desire for that to happen but it also capitalizes on parts of the aesthetic that read the best cinematically mm-hmm so um, it's playing both back to the TV show, but also away from it. Uh, but and and I think something that is like feels more like the cinema of the time, particularly the most Spielbergian moment is when the little girl drops her teddy bear. Yeah. As the as the uh, Enterprise. It's is funny you say that. I I had the same note. Yeah. <laughs> I said that bear should um, be wearing a red coat. <laughs> yeah. And you know this was a you, this I mean one of my favorite things about TNG versus TOS the, the major differences there are families and children on right, the ship right right so anytime that ship is in danger <laughs> of 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 being destroyed you're talking about hundreds of children being killed and it reminds me of my fa of uh, one of my favorite moments from Lower Decks, the animated uh, yeah. Star Trek series. One of the characters is in a hollow simulation um, on the Enterprise, 
um, like a Kobayashi Maru. And he sort of says, let's do the Janeway maneuver. And then instantly someone's like, all the children on the ship are dead. (laughs) (laughs) With no explanation as to why. But that's 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 basically the kind of jeopardy that 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 the show is always into. So I like that they did that, but they really mined it for that Spielbergian mawkishness. Yes, you know, absolutely. They, they, they were like, um, and you know, to show how because I was I was they're... half expecting to see that little girl again, and of course we yeah. never do. <laughs> well, yeah, they've got no follow through. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, it's sort of like. Uh, at this point, they're just sort of dipping their toes in the world of cinema, mm-hmm. right? This is the this movie is all about dipping dipping toes, <laughs> not actually committing to anything. <laughs> and it shows how comfortable they've got with the idea of blowing up the Enterprise that uh, if we first see it blow up in the background of the shot, yeah, I'm just like, well, it's so it's so commonplace now that it's not even in focus. <laughs> <laughs> and then they continue to blow it up three or four times before the end of the film. As it slams into the ground. Uh, yeah, as it crashes and, and burns. And this is where the spec, uh, they're going for the best possible spectacle. Um, yeah, but I I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I, it, I don't think I don't think it looks terrible. I don't think it looks great. It's I think somewhere it in pretty- between. I think it looks pretty good. It, it, it's, you know, I think I think their instincts are right to sort of push it beyond what was possible within yeah uh, a TV series, which at this point is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty high standard. Um, they have industrial light and magic behind them, even on TV. Um, you know, and focusing on things like crashing into the forest, which you can't, you couldn't imagine would be done on the TV show. Um. But it's weird. I mean, it's been we've had seven, we've had seven seasons with this Enterprise, mm-hmm. um, and it feels less earned than when it happens in Star Trek Three. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess because it's only one movie cinematic. Well, it's like, like a third of a movie cinematically. Sure. Probably that's why it feels that way. But then it gets very. Um, it gets very TOS when it, it's Soren and Picard fighting on some rocks. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is how every TOS episode ends. My, my note was two old men fight to no music. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I noted that as well. There are a number of moments where yeah. there, there is no music where you think there will be music. Right. Because especially during during the first captain's log, I'm like, if ever there was a time. <laughs> sure. You're to right. like bring in an bring in a Star Trek sting. Yeah. But no, it's just. It's just Patrick Well, because I thought voice. it was funny, because, of course, later there's going to be three old men fighting, and there is music <laughs> over that. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what they were saving it for. I guess. For, for, maybe that's the, what their idea of variation is. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's interesting given, again, like, the development of Picard as a character, because Patrick Stewart's big note during the run was that he should have more fucking and fighting. Mm-hmm. And this takes care of at least one of those yeah, right. demands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also the idea that, you know, you're trying to adapt the character into cinema, so you have him have a fight. Sure. I mean, that's But I also, ha- I also have a note that says Picard keeps getting his ass handed to him. Well, you know, it, it's not his most natural... That's not, you know, uh, the, the strengths of his captaincy. And I think that's that true. is yeah. why he's much more successful when Kirk is there as a, as a sort as of... A, um, a punching surrogate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 
that's kind of, you know we'll we'll get there but that's that's a big part of why i like that sequence is that it exemplifies what what is distinctive about each of them as star trek captains sure. uh whilst giving shatner one last fight well and at you know at at least in this portion of the film you know both both sauron and picard are going to enter the nexus <laughs> Yeah. Well, first of all, the planet is going to be destroyed, uh, or, or existence is what it looks like on screen. Right, has been destroyed. But it's uh, like they're swept exactly up, they... and it's yeah. a like it's a pretty striking. And, and the one shot that I really like is when the when that moon or whatever the planet that they're on yeah. does blow up, and you see the. But who's this for? In terms of the storytelling, like. There's 35 minutes left in the movie. Mm-hmm. We know it's a time travel storyline, so we can we we can we don't need this. We don't need to be pandered to like this. I think. I don't know. It had a, a different effect on me. I really, okay, I, I really felt it viscerally. I really felt, wow, yeah. everyone on the Enterprise is dead. Right. You thought they were going to Ewoks battle for Endor it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the uh, rest of the rest of the movies would just follow. Obviously, your Picard. cinema brain says we're, we're like we're not yeah. staying like this, and we're going to be fine. But I, I think it just it just seemed a little hysterical for. It, it was a little bit insulting to the intelligence of the viewer, which you notice more in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Because they pride themselves on playing to the intelligence of the viewers, that when they do stupid, right. like blowing stuff up like this, it doesn't land in the quite the same way as it would in a in a Star War. Maybe I think. Do you well? I'll I'll pose it as a question. Do you think it's possible that they show that so that they can juxtapose it against Picard's choice to leave? Not that he sees what happens, but for the audience... No. Well, uh, that's the problem, yeah, isn't right. it? It's like, again, the choice is out of his hands as soon as he knew people were in danger. Yeah. So, I mean, he was pretty sure he was going to lose his own crew if if this, uh, if this his attempt to thwart Soren failed. failed. Right. Um, yeah, so then, he, then Picard's in the Nexus. <laughs> yeah, he's um, in a Christmas carol for sure. He's a, he's in a Christmas. He's doing doing he's doing his solo show. Um, uh, there's an exploding Christmas ornament. There's several. Uh, I have I I wrote down a note that said why don't why am I looking at CGI Christmas or, ornaments? Yeah, again, household objects in CGI good. in the '90s did not look good. Um, and this this is interesting because it seems because he's in a total fantasy landscape. And he's got this alternate life where he settles down, has a family. And there's an episode where this happens called The Inner Light, where basically, due to sci- sci-fi gobbledygook, mm-hmm. Picard ends up living through a whole lifetime and has children and marries, has children and grandchildren. But it all happens in a matter of seconds and only in his mind. But he lives it as if it really happened. Yeah. So this seems to refer uh, once refer to this and forget it ever happened, yeah. <laughs> like as if this is the first time Picard has been through something like this. Well, maybe Which it really isn't. I mean, I I think I referenced it earlier, but we I was talking about how Guinan said, "I mean, you're just you can't go there because you're never gonna leave." Yeah. And that's right. Like you said. I mean, even now, I think we're probably getting towards 25 minutes left in the movie. 
So he well, he's got to go five minutes before he says, "No, I gotta go." I mean, this I remember, something's I weird about time, this. I must uh, leave. I think this this was like the 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 uh, the first time I saw this. I think was on television with commercials, and I was I remember like checking the time. I was like, I was like, I don't know if we're gonna see Captain Kirk again. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't think there's time. You know, it's like, how quickly can they speed up the But that was one of the surprises for me and that led me to earlier say that it felt more for the next generation than TOS because... Yeah. Because I forgot how much of the story is for them and how little Kirk is actually in it. And, you know, it goes back to one of our our original um, examples of uh, Charlton Heston and... Yeah. Planet of the you know in, in battle for the not battle for the uh, beneath the planet of the apes I was close it was a B word um, you could have said Wayne World Wayne's World too for all I knew <laughs> uh, you know where he's he's doing one scene split up into two mm-hmm. uh, and that's effectively what Kirk is doing here sure um, and uh, well here we are so he's told Guinan tells him in again in in needlessly vague terms. Uh, because we're in the Nexus where nothing makes sense, <laughs> including the Nexus itself. Yeah. Um, that he needs to go off and meet Kirk to help him uh, get out of the Nexus? <laughs> question mark. Um, which we've sort of been told he can't do, but see, uh, I think he needs yeah, help. Yeah, two men right, can do. Right, but I think it's also <laughs> funny that. You know, she never makes the choice. I I don't know. She doesn't know Kirk either, so maybe that's why. But she could conceivably. Well, no, she didn't because she arrived as he left. Right? Yeah. So she probably never met him. Uh, she's met Mark Twain, so she could have met him. <laughs> but she's never made the choice to try and get you know get Kirk to to leave the Nexus. And yeah. I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that the movie is trying to tell us that only these two captains of the Enterprise could have yeah. the fortitude <laughs> to leave the Nexus, except it seems such an easy task. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's... Think it, and then you're standing in front of Kirk. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Right I off, mean... away from from the wife and you're going to be back on the planet. It's all a contrived excuse so that, that there can be this historic meeting between the two yeah. captains. I mean, it is it is eerily like that Shatner documentary, The Captains, mm-hmm. at this point, which I believe is also, there's lots of like riding horses and, and chopping wood in that. Too. Well, I mean, the second you see the horses, you know for sure those are Shatner's horses. I, I Of course. I even read that that was his house. <laughs> like they came to him. <laughs> they came to this him to shoot. Shatner's that. like, I'll do Kirk again, but you have to come to my yeah. house. <laughs> He's pulling a Michael Caine in uh what was that? Uh terrible film. The Christopher Nolan film. Oh yeah, uh Tenet. Tenet. Tenet or whatever. Yeah. Um well, I, so this this is in I, garbage this is, movie. Sorry, go ahead. The, the, yeah, I know, yeah, I remember you saying. Still haven't seen it. Um, I I remember, you know, the thing that will be said about this is 
not only is it a contrived excuse to get these two characters together, that it's massively underwhelming when they do. And I, yeah, right. I, I only agree. I only disagree with the first part. I don't find it as underwhelming as some people. Um, it's not yeah. overwhelmingly great, though. I no, mean, it's no, on. it's not. No, but um, I I like the interplay between them. I I like the fact that we see this even now at the very last second we're seeing a totally new side of kirk yeah. which is the, the this domestic goddess right. version of kirk and i think it's really it's like it's, it's like very it's, you know, weird it's, to, to i love the idea of that that, that kirk's unlived fantasies are he's a house husband yeah right like i kind of, i'm sure shatner thinks it's like feminist bullshit but um <laughs> it doesn't but, show in his performance yeah, it's, right? no it doesn't at all and i think it's very strange to to listen to kirk talk about well this was five years ago this was seven years ago 11 years yeah. ago i was going to leave starfleet and then i decided not to and there's this yeah. little part of me that thinks oh i'd like to see that story <laughs> yeah i'd like to know yeah. more about that the day I told her I was going back to Starfleet, and I, I was just thinking, I mean, yeah, it's like... It's Why would you go back? You're clearly at the end of your, your of everything you're supposed to be doing, even if it was 11 years ago. And I was, I was also thinking, like, which time? Yeah, right. <laughs> We've seen a lot of you going back to Starfleet. Um, yeah, and, the, and then, you know, the alien egg preparation mm-hmm. and the toast joke. I, I, I think you love it. I think it's fun. I think it's really fun. In the same way, I love the campfire scene in Final Frontier. Yeah. Maybe it's just something about. It's funny Kirk you say that, though. But the... It's Kirk surrounded by wood. Yeah, I think, right. That I enjoy. It's funny that you say that because I always remembered the alien eggs. <laughs> and there's, this, again, that they're riffing on a scene uh, from TNG where Riker prepares alien scrambled eggs mm. for the crew. Um, and and uh, Worf is the only one who likes them, which means that they taste terrible. Um, <laughs> and it, it's interesting, like, so uh, this is where it also gets, well, it gets very meta for lots of reasons. Sure. But one of one of them is that, you know, Kirk's arc in the TOS movies is itself a kind of a time loop. He's constantly leaving Starfleet mm-hmm. and then coming back and getting promoted. And, and demoted. Then going back to being, and but demoted. demoted is what he wanted. So this is almost like a synthesis of what he does in those movies, but in, in you know, with the sci-fi concept of a time loop. Mm-hmm. It's weird that he's in Idaho, not Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> like, I agree. Yeah. Unless Idaho is in Iowa, because I, I, that's not right, what, is no, it? No, that is incorrect, sir. Okay. <laughs> I realized as I was saying it, I don't want to be a British person not knowing that Idaho is in Iowa. Two separate states. <laughs> So that's because it's Shatner's house, right? And they didn't feel like pretending it was Iowa. I guess not. Yeah, yeah. I get. And that, and his horses. Yes. Um, Difficult to to, to uh, fake the terrain of Idaho for the flat cornfields of <laughs> Iowa. Just throw, just throw a few, you know. Just uh, take out way all. Didn't the he potatoes. say something that it was like his brother's place or something like yeah, that? Yeah, there is there's some there's some yeah. terrible work around. For some that. nonsense. Which is which is just awful because he's so associated with Iowa. You know, one of the most famous lines in the series involves right. Iowa. Um, and then for we're just literally watching Shatner and his stunt rider. Uh, I, I'll tell you this though, for doing tricks for yeah. like three or four minutes. 
one of the most impressive things I saw in this movie was getting hit, him getting his horse to do that sidestep right up to Picard. Which they clearly filmed in long shot. For that so, purpose, yeah. Yeah, so that it's like, if we have any ADR we need to put in somewhere, <laughs> we'll do it over a shot of Shatner circling with his rescue horse. Um, and I'm not sure what the tone is supposed to be here, but it's very fun, aside from advertising his horse charity, which yeah. we've seen him do uh, elsewhere. Uh, but I was very, very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the well. I sort of like the idea, you know, that, that obviously, you know, the the they're taking the frontier side of TOS to to its extreme by making him ride horses and be this. We first see him chopping wood, like mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, he's in Shane or something. <laughs> Um, no, see, I mean that's that's what they're going for. You know, that they're, they're playing that part of the frontier. Something I, what I really admire about this sequence, you're you're right. It's not perfect. It it is not. It it doesn't strike you as the most as as overwhelmingly successful. Mm-hmm. But there's an exchange of dialogue that I think I'm really glad they they did because it makes it, it all worthwhile. When Kirk says, "Don't let them promote you," like yeah, I was I think gonna that's say, a yeah, great bit of character writing because it's like Kirk, you, 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 you've seen him go through, uh, this you know this weird career path back and forth, mm-hmm. but you don't know yet that he's learned anything from it, and him in passing on that advice to Picard, you're finally like, Kirk has learned what he did wrong. He's grown from where he was. <laughs> right. He learned that he was that fine moment. as he was. Well, yeah, you could read it that way. Or you could also read it like, you know, that if you're a natural captain, don't, don't, uh, no, yeah, yeah, don't you're let right. them put yeah. you in an office. And it makes this all, you know, if that, if you can take away anything from this scene, it, it's, um, it's that. Uh, he quotes Spock, which is, is clearly right. in lieu of Spock appearing in the movie. Of course. Kind of verbal surrogacy. Um, and, yeah, so I... And, you know, there's a... When when he says, who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? You know, that's the... That's to me, good that's stuff. The, that's the official handing off, right? Yeah. Of the gauntlet. And it's a, it's a very nice... A very nice moment. I always think in these, like... In these moment, these kind of crossover moments where uh, you get it a lot in Doctor Who when two different Doctors meet, or you know, uh, two big big characters in a show uh, meet from different eras. I think one of them has to has to play the straight man, has to sort of disappear a little bit to let the other one have the shine, have, the have their moment, yeah. And Patrick Stewart's really good at doing that, mm-hmm. which goes against what you might think as a trained theater actor he might be capable of because mostly what patrick stewart does in these scenes is listen yeah right and it's absolutely the right call as an actor because he knows he's got i don't know how many more movies to sure to to do whatever he wants to do but he also knows but kirk has got as chatner's got you know mere minutes this is it this is it yeah and i think that's very clear that patrick stewart is not trying to hog the limelight here um and it, I, I, it works. It works. I didn't well. think of it in those terms. 
in sense of the actor himself. I thought of, you know, but I thought of it in terms of choices that they were finally making with the script and with the direction that, that I think made if you sense. Just, even with the script they have, Patrick Stewart could have overplayed the the frustration and annoyance at Kirk. That's true, yeah. At, at like, Kirk not getting what he's laying down in terms of, you know, uh, the urgency of the situation. Mm-hmm. And that he sort of brings that a little bit and then he just eases off and it just becomes... Um, it just becomes a nice, relaxed moment. That's true, but I would counter with the idea that since they're in this fucking nexus, they could leave whatever. It doesn't matter. Time, time, doesn't, doesn't, time matter. doesn't matter. There's a great reference to um, the clock. <laughs> there's more time travel paradox shenanigans with uh, a clock he gave to Bones. Yeah, right. As, <laughs> like, is, is now in the nexus, just as his glasses ended up back in time. Sure. So uh, it's like gifts between Bones and Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) Going back and forth within the space-time continuum. Exactly, exactly. I love that idea. Um, And and then then we we go go back. Yeah, that's it. We see the Enterprise crash again. They get their money's worth from the effects. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. It's they, a re- it's they a make a compromise. Montage. They say we're going to show you maybe twenty percent of it, twenty five max. Yeah, it's an impasse. You know, they've got a sure. little recap from uh, about twenty minutes ago. <laughs> um, more old men fighting, right? And you know, uh, Kirk offers to take care of Sauron, so they've basically they've concocted a time loop to give Kirk one more fight. Yeah, before he the character dies. And I think so. Putting nineteen ninety four William Shatner in a high action sequence is not the best choice. It's also not the worst. It right, kind of yeah. looks okay. Like it's. I mean, it gives you those TOS feels. It's like it it's gives like you the wa- feels. And I'll yeah. say this too. I mean, you know, we've been fandom has been giving this series shit for how old the people are when we're when we see them in certain movies or what have you. And we talk about whatever how heavy heavy the makeup gets and that sort of thing they couldn't they couldn't have imagined an hd world yeah uh but the one thing you also have to concede is shatner has always looked great for his age he's in his 90s now and you couldn't possibly imagine if you were to look at him that he's in his 90s yeah you know he he came back so actually i shouldn't say he went to space he came back from space that was the achievement yeah, right. Getting up there, as we know. That's not a problem. Dogs and monkeys, put anything up there. <laughs> Getting it back is the trick. <laughs> you all remember that 1969 headline, yeah. Neil Armstrong returns from the moon. <laughs> um, but at any rate, I think yeah. it goes a long way towards helping them in the, in a scene it like that. that. Yeah. It doesn't look that bad, and and, and I'll tell the, you something else. Yeah. It's it's a moment where I fi- I'm finally on David Carson's side. Like I think it's really well directed. Yeah, and I like it, especially when the that little bridge separates and uh-huh. it's crunching, and they're you know, like he builds a lot of tension in that moment with the the crumbling of of the metal and the bending and the you know twisting. I think it again, all works really well. It might not be how you want Captain Kirk and Captain Picard to, to meet and interact. But if you think about it, the moment where they say we're working together, uh, you've got the, you know, that they're using their 
conflicting captain in philosophies mm-hmm. to defeat the villain. So yeah, Kirk right. is using yeah. his exceptionalism and Picard is using his sense of teamwork, his ability to rally others, which mm-hmm. is what, what is the center of his ability to captain. Um, so I think it makes, again, it makes conceptual sense. You just don't want to go, you just don't want to think about, listen, the rules of the Nexus are so thinly sketched. It's not clear <laughs> it that yeah, even, right. even this intervention is going to do any, make any difference, right? <laughs> <laughs> By their own rules, doing anything within the Nexus should affect nothing. Right. But uh, I guess we have to just accept that, that if they don't, let the nexus open they'll have never been in it in the first place i think that's what they're getting at but it right, makes no right. sense because of what the nexus is conceptually or how they've drawn it conceptually because they're in the nexus they can't break free of the nexus when they're in the nexus unless they just decide told. to <laughs> right um so it's you don't want to think about it too much but uh, you know for for the for the sake of seeing Kirk and Picard working together in a way that, that is a logical extrapolation of of their captaincies. I think it's it, it's good. I, and, you know, I like that Kirk gets his death scene. You know, the film was teasing it from minute one. Sure. Uh, is it satisfying we, we for you? We deserve, we deserve to wallow in it. Uh, I like that <laughs> it's uh, Kirk slash Shatner when he calls Picard the captain of the Enterprise... Um, he comes to term with the transition as he dies, mm-hmm. which uh, is like it's the nail in the coffin of the TOS era. Um, and you know, it, it, it's all of Shat. I think you know, it's 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 full Shatner. I mean, you get yeah, it was fun, mm-hmm. and he's looking. But I then re- I read but... a note that he was not looking at Patrick Stewart, but at a some you know airplane that was flying over his shoulder and when i read that and watched the movie i thought that makes complete sense yeah but then you know i i love that i i and i i actually read that the i read the oh my was a an improv yeah no i think i i think so i think he heard george takai was formulating it as a catchphrase and wanted to scoop him (laughs) um no but i like it i love the brevity Mm-hmm. And the way it's acted, like it's clear that you know he's he's like he knows he's dying, yeah, or he's seen heaven or whatever. Like it's very clear what's going on. It's just a bit eerie retrospectively because that is what George Takai says. <laughs> um, it, I don't understand why he has an admiral on his badge. I presume A stands for admiral, right? Oh, because he's not an admiral. Oh no, yeah. I mean, maybe they gave him the he. Maybe he retired on an admiral's pension, so it, I don't know. I don't know. And it automatically changes in the Nexus, or if he's in, if or when he was, I don't know. The, from the point he came out of the Nexus, I guess he could have been an admiral. There you go. Before he went rogue, maybe. Uh, but that, that doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. And you know he yeah, and then they put the badge on the rocks and, um, yeah, rocks, rocks and and the uh, rocks the, the over in- body as a gravesite. 
Yeah, rocks and the insignia is like two icons of the TOS era. Bunch <laughs> of rocks and those badges. Yeah. Um, and then we have a captain's log that fills in all the messy exposition left over. Sure. Which is what the captain's log is there to do. Um, and then uh, he and uh, Picard and Riker sum up the uh, right. the the episode the theme. <laughs> no, sum up the episode. They wrap yeah, it up right. as they would any episode of TNG. It's, that is a moment where they forget that they're not writing. Well, I just like that anymore. Picard had a line that says, cherish every moment because they <laughs> will never come again. Unless you're in the fucking Nexus. <laughs> At least they make it clear that it's hard to, to get into the Nexus, I there, suppose. That's you true. have to you have to endanger a lot of lives to get there. I mean Sauron, he had to he had to you know he had to go uh the seventy eight years, right? Mm-hmm. Good job he's kind of immortal. Right. Um uh, and then, you know, we also get the wrap up of the emotion chip storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh which is good because it shows change and development for data. Yeah. That this story has gone somewhere. I'm pretty sure without having seen them recently that it's that this is walked back and forth in the future movies. Really? Also the downside of this this scene is I don't think it was I think I've for... seen e- well except for first contact. The other two I think there's a lot of I'm going to put my emotion chip I have in, not seen a lot of out. the other two. Yeah, right. Um I don't think this was meant to be him and Troy. I think this is meant to be him and Geordi. This does not sound like Troy. This does not like so- sound like someone who's been Data's psychiatrist for seven years. Mm-hmm. She's asking him questions that she would definitely know the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a really, you know, this this uh, one of the sweetest moments in the film with Spot the Cat. Spot the Cat is still alive. Yeah. Uh, and um, Picard talks about casualties, but as far as I can tell, everyone lived except the Enterprise itself. Yeah. Which, as we know, they have no problem destroying at any given moment. <laughs> whenever they, the, yeah. Whenever it strikes them. Um, and they tease a new Enterprise for the for the following. Of films. course. Uh, unfortunately, they really lose out on that final shot, which is just like other. Mm-hmm. spaceships going to warp. I'm like, right. you really miss the Enterprise there. If you're going to blow up the Enterprise, don't immediately follow it with a shot that reminds you that the Enterprise isn't there. Yeah. But it also, you know, it felt... Uh, those ships look like the models of things we've already seen. Reliant uh-huh. or, you know, from, I the, bet, uh, from, I bet from original series shit, you know? Yeah, I bet they have significance. I'm just not willing to go on Memory Alpha and find out what they are. <laughs> because <laughs> everything does everything has an extra meaning because right. it's been going on for so long um i mean all, you know they're all they're all nerds so. well I, i'm at the end of my notes yeah that's it the, fi- the final words they're all nerds um yeah <laughs> but I've it's got, a I'm, weird it's a very strange ending yeah not it's a very it's it's like it's the ending of an episode not a film and then yeah. And then a shot at the end that's supposed to convey something that I don't think it that conveys. doesn't do that. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah, because we because we've just blown up the again most we've blown of up the film's most, major character. At least part of the Enterprise. But then why does it not? I guess why does it not feel like that at the end of Search of Spark again? Like is it just? Mm-hmm. I guess because Spark, we get Spark back, but here we get Spot back. That's pretty good. <laughs> If you were a TNG fan, you'd be worried that that was the end of Spot. All right. 
you know you know more from the series well yeah but well it is i mean it's like it's data's longest relationship with any other creature mm-hmm. him and spot and he learns to be human through becoming a pet owner so the idea that he can emotionally react to spot being alive is it's kind of in its in, a, in its own way a big mm-hmm. deal yeah <laughs> I mean, it's reminding me now because I had, I think I had spoken to the the wedging in of stories, hmm. and you had said that his the the emotional chip. I mean, it was you know his character had gone uh, to great lengths to be more than just the android that he is. But not and, that far, crucially, like right. And, and TNG, all of that made all of that, that makes in. sense. I think I think where I got stuck was the idea of of. Uh, you know, he pushes somebody in as uh, who is it? He pushes into the water. Oh, yeah, into the water. that's a yeah. So, um, so it's, it's that it was that portion. Yeah, yeah, it was that portion of the story it has nothing where to do in this film where we don't even see her be mad at him, but someone right. else tells yeah. him that 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 they're mad. And the next they thing you know, he's like, them. "This is this is the next obvious choice. Put this in my head." <laughs> yeah, they do Beverly a real disservice here, right? Um, you know, do her, they're, do they're, her, do her dirty. They prepared to like you know uh, ogle her and then have a couple of Klingons talk shit about her, right? But that's it. That's the limits of what she can do in the movie. So it isn't really, it isn't really tracked particularly well. Um, so I'm yeah I'm into credit checks credit check Mil- me military military style credits putting the cast into ranks and divisions the You're aliens right. the nexus <laughs> trying to rationalize this mess of a movie <laughs> trying to make you feel like it all it was all planned um, I was interested to uh, Ronald B Moore one of the writers and you know uh, famously went on to do Battlestar Galactica and Outlander and some pretty big Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as Deep Space, Deep Space Nine, and, and and one episode of Voyager before he went fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's true, true story. Uh, um, he supervised the visual effects, which I think is fascinating. Like, oh, you know, hmm. they were obviously like you know the writer would have such a close relationship with the people doing the effects. And yeah, that is strange. I have a, I think I remember reading something similar about Battlestar Galactica. The reason the effects were so good on that show wasn't necessarily about pushing the boundaries of the technology, but that Ronald B. Moore was kind of writing the effects into the script. Um, gotcha. Shatner gets his own makeup person. Of course he does. But not hairstylist. Which to me is a tacit admission that both leads of the film are bald. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say that's because it's been stapled on. Yeah. <laughs> head, head, hair stapler. George Takai. Yeah. <laughs> and James Doohan. And yeah. Nichelle Nichols. Those, if I may say, those staples are awfully long. <laughs> um couple of companies involved in the movie home on the range caterers uh, that was for shatner lots of grilled meat <laughs> that's that's just what he calls his kitchen yeah um <laughs> so he can he can write it off on his taxes <laughs> cats uh cat by oh, the the cat spot the cat is by critters of the cinema 
All I, right. just, I, I, I love these company names, but they do pose a lot of questions, which they do not answer. <laughs> uh, miniature Crash Sequence Photography Unit is an incredibly dramatic and also specific unit to be a part of. <laughs> I would love to be able to tell people I was part of that unit. Um, Public Missiles Limited are thanked here. Which is the um, the Johnny Rotten spin-off group that never saw the light of day. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all I have. That's the end of my credit check. All right. That's the the uh, the end of Kirk. The end of my credit check. Yeah. He finally he finally never came back. Well, I mean, you know that there are novels which. Shatner sure. claims he wrote where he brings himself back to life, but uh, I don't think they're considered even remotely canon, <laughs> even in the murky canonical realm. The murky of Star Trek. underworld. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even in the or memory beta, as it's known, I don't think they're even considered uh, part of that. Well, there uh, we have it. We uh, that's the two hundredth episode. Yeah. Good on yeah. us, I say. Yeah, I think it was a really good choice. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, and I enjoyed, you know, obviously I enjoyed watching it again. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Mm. Oh, good. Because I remember disliking it when I first saw it. And like you had had said earlier, uh, it kind of did give me the warm and it's a, it does give me it's the warm comforting. and fuzzies. It's, it's still it's, it's still Star Trek. Yeah, it's like a it's a, it's like a T you know it's a TOS comfort blanket to get yeah. you into the TNG era, and uh, I res I respect that even though it's entirely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. For uh, even though know. it's entirely unnecessary and it's not always successful, mm. I I you know and I'm put that I, on your poster. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm still I'm still calling it a bad movie but it's mm. barely for me and it's yeah you know it's not one that i dislike like i when i first saw it i it, you know th there's more there than i think i gave it credit for when i first saw it be interesting to see if there are any other sequels like this mm -hmm. I, I can't think of any i can't think of anything of offhand where, but um I suppose, in, you know, you could say something similar going on in Force Awakens. Mm. Phase, phasing one, cast out, phasing one in. Yeah, maybe. But not... It I doesn't mean, feel but, as deliberate as this does, though. No, it's not like no, it's not like it was two weeks after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to tell us what you think of Star Trek Generations. Yay or nay, fan or no fan, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Fan Send dance us an e or no fan dance. <laughs> you weren't going to let that pass. No, couldn't. <laughs> Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next, we'll be talking about the next hundred episodes. Yay! <laughs> Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. Captain, is there something wrong with your chair? <laughs> Scotty's got all the zingers. He's got, he's got plenty of fuck yous. He thinks he's at the roast of William Shatner. Mm -hmm. That's what he thinks is going on. 
It's the only way they got him in the building. <laughs> he, <laughs> he had to have script approval yeah. to make sure every line was it was was insulting Shatner. <laughs> All right, everyone. Take care. Until next time. Thank <laughs> you.